Alrighty, welcome to Event Quest. This is Fortwan slash Cham, joined by Darth slash Chance and Matt. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Doing wonderful, Alex. Happy to be on Jeopardy. <laughs> okay, I didn't expect that. <laughs> um, Dungeons and Dragons: Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. We're doing the set review for that. Uh, if you're listening, Event Quest is our. We talk about a bunch of cards and then we give a rating of the set. We're basically picking our favorite cards. We're doing to do seven tonight, uh, including uh, one which we would probably intend, or basically like if you had to pick one to build a commander deck out of, because there is also a subsequent commander set. That's what we're what we're doing. So. Um, without further ado, um, D&D set, um, pretty bonkers for a lot of reasons, I think in both power and flavor, but I think we also have our critiques, is what we'll call it, right? That seems fair. I know, I know, I know Matt has some outright complaints. (laughs) I have very conflicted emotions on this set, the way that it shook out, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Matt, why don't you lead us off today? Normally we start with Chance, but... All right. Lead. Uh, so, so my first pick, uh, a green mythic. This is Long Rest. And oh, yeah. Let me find it on my... Okay, there we go. So, Long Rest, X and three green for a... Or I apologize, it's not a mythic, it's a rare... Sorcery at rare. Uh, return X target cards with different mana values from your graveyard to your hand. If eight or more cards were returned to your hand this way, your life total becomes equal to your starting life total. Exile long rest. So to, mm-hmm. to me, this has shades of uh, Praetor's Council and uh, Seasons Past. We've seen this in some other big splashy green spells in the past. The ability to pull multiple things from the graveyard. Uh, I like the fact, so green, and it's funny, I've harped on this for some cards, specifically Guy's Will from Modern Horizons 2, uh, but I do like the fact that this isn't restricted to permanence. This this cares about mana costs, uh, or mana value, rather, and so as long as you're pulling things with different mana values, so that sort of automatically lets you kind of reconstruct a play curve for the late game, and if you're able to get X to 8 or more, so basically an 11 mana investment, you reset to your starting life total, which for Commander is extra, extra frosting on top. Yeah. Going back to 40 in the late game, life totals around the table probably getting low. Say you're sitting in the teens, and then you just, boom, just bump back up to 40 with a full grip. Uh, lots of sweet cards ready to play on curve. That That's going to feel really good. Yeah. Yeah. It looks it looks powerful. I like the flavor of it too. Yeah. A job well done means a rest well earned. Love it. <laughs> I feel like without the life gain I'd be a little poo poo on the card. Thinking I of seasons s- past and Praetor's Council. Yeah, I agree. It would pale compared to those cards without the the life gain. And the life gain is really what kind of sells the the D&D flavor of it being the the long rest. So like all your abilities yeah. refreshing and you get to heal some life back. Like the they this is one of those cases where they really captured that flavor. Yeah. 
get all your wizard spell slots back and someone healed you in the meantime. <laughs> yep. It's, um... I also like that it exiles itself because you can't long rest more than once. Yeah. In a lot of things. That's a good yeah. point. And and it also, I mean, I, I think for a lot of these bigger, flashier spells, the, the self-exiling clause is just a it's a good thing to include just to keep things in check. It, it mm-hmm. kind of limits the shenanigans. Yeah. Could you imagine having uh, multiples of these and they just get each other back all the time? That'd be stupid. Yeah, which like, obviously wouldn't be an issue in Commander, but but still, there's there's plenty of stuff that lets you, like, obviously any Simic deck, Archaeum answer, you'd have any number of ways to be pulling spells back from the graveyard. So being able to play this yeah. over and over would, especially if you're... Would be insane. Yeah, yeah, if you're in a deck that's on the infinite mana path, then you're just constantly playing and re-grabbing your best eight cards. Or however many. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, you do have to, at the very least, spend 11 mana on this to get back to that life total. It's a, That's assuming that you're picking up nothing but one-cost cards. <laughs> no, so. that's a... It, it says X target cards with different mana values, so you would basically have to get something... Oh, yeah, never mind. Like, yeah. your, probably your best-case scenario curve-wise would be 0 to 7. Mm-hmm. So I mean, but but even yeah. even if you pay the eleven to get the life gain and you're still getting your best four or five cards back, I still think you're gonna feel pretty good about it. I don't no, think you, you can overpay. Oh, you don't think so? Oh, you have to you have to succeed. You so, have to target successfully. Yeah. So you have to have that many different values of cards. Uh, with that said, that this card it... went from this is all right to <laughs> nah. It makes it it makes it a lot more challenging to get that best case scenario with the life gain. I I like it because to me it kind of puts me in mind. I'm, obviously, I think a natural fit might be like a Yisan deck, uh, a deck that already cares about a wide dispersal of mana values uh, across your across your deck. Sure. Yeah. Because then you know you've got the the progression. It'll be a lot easier to hit for sure. Yeah. Yes, the problem also is also means... you got to get. All of that in your graveyard, too. So this is a super late game, typically. Yeah. And the point is also, if you don't have eight different mana values or more of cards, you're never getting that life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even then, without if you think about it without the life, if you're just doing Axis 3, right? Like... <laughs> Like, if you're just looking at cards that kind of do this effect in the history of the game, restock is X equals 2 on this card without exiling itself. So, it's fine, but I think this is a late-game card that can swing the game for you heavily, and often it will just be a more flexible return spell. Mm -hmm. Right, and you could grab anything, too, right? Like... X isn't denouncing what that cost is. Not, you know, right, you could end up getting a 7 and an 8 if your value is just 2. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I don't know. That seems pretty good. Alright. Um, so, long rest. Uh, I'll, I'll, do the, I'll do it. We'll change it up a bit. Chance, we'll have you be the anchor on this one. Sure. Um, 
I'm going to go with uh, my first pick, the Terrisk, um, which is uh, six green, green, green for a 10-10 legendary creature dinosaur. May I say, awesome they made it a dinosaur. In D&D rules, this thing is not a dinosaur. Um, but the Terrisk has haste and ward 10 as long as it was cast. So cheating it out, you don't really get, get those effects, which I like that too. They're like, no, we want you to hard cast this thing. <laughs> uh, and then also, whenever the Terrisk attacks, it fights target creature defending player controls. Um, that's not a choice, so you do end up having to like kill things. You might have to be a little careful if they have a lot of big things on their field. But still, a hasted 10-10 for 9 is not the greatest, but I love the flavor. <laughs> and cheating and it, it punishes cheating it out which means it's going to be nigh unplayable for a lot of people um i do like the quote though when it rises nations fall um it, which is true when D D lore it does have the interesting upside of benefiting from cheating costs by casting yeah. so mm -hmm. dream halls is a card i like a lot that lets everybody discard a card that shares a color with a card instead of paying its mana cost, but you're still casting it. Yes, yeah, you still have to cast it to get this effect. But yeah. And I have to say, Ward 10 is probably my favorite sub part of a card in this set. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... <laughs> you want to do something to this? Pay 10 extra mana. There you go. Like I don't even care if it gets path in a commander knowing they paid 11 mana for it, at least, is hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because they had to pay more than the card was cast to get it off. With targeted removal. Yeah. They just hope we don't sure. get crackling doomed. Yeah, making sure that you come out ahead. And there are, they're not a lot, but they're some of my favorites. The, there are a handful of cards, like Arcane Light, is it Arcane Lighthouse? And, uh... Yeah, Remove Shroud and Hexproof. And uh, is there's a green enchantment from Battle for Zendikar. It's, it's uh, if it's the one I'm thinking of, it removes indestructible. It, I think it removes indestructible and hexproof. It might. I just definitely remember because it's like when Nissa binds the a, Titans to Zendikar. I know it removes indestructible. Is all I remember on it. Bond of Mortality. That's it. And okay. uh, so Ward obviously is is a newer mechanic, and so is not going to be captured under those very very rare corner cards that can that can interfere with hexproof and indestructible and shroud mm -hmm. so at present there is no way to get out from underpaying ward you you're gonna have to pay right. except for the way ward works is it counters it so you can still just bunk them with an uncounterable kill spell ah yeah so if oh, it can't be countered true. that's interesting I don't know if there is a can't be countered kill spell. That's something I really can't answer. But yeah, well, I mean, there's abrupt decay, but he costs more than three, so that's not really yeah. a concern. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Terrisk. I mean, it's a big bad in D and D, and it's an okay bad in in Magic. Uh, yeah, I fall in the camp. This was one of the most popular cards to kind of dunk on for this set because 
because as epic and legendary as the the Terosk, the the Teros, I've one, one of the most mispronounced monster names in the history of the game. I've heard it pronounced half a dozen different ways, and I still don't know what the correct one is. We used to say the Terescue. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I personally have always favored calling it the Terosk because of the harder yeah. consonant sounds, but but I've heard Terask a lot. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know which one is the correct one. I don't really care. Uh, right. The, probably the most sinful omission here is you have a giant mythic green creature that doesn't have trample on it. And and the fight mechanic, True. while I really like it, the fight mechanic does not compensate for the lack of trample on this thing. Yeah. Now, the, the thing is, trample's really easy to get a hold of in green, though. It is. Um so I don't think it's specific. It, it it's going to take some work to get this thing to get going. Like it's not it's not going to stand up by itself. Yeah, um, for sure. As a nine but, mana big spell, though, I, I want it to be good enough. I don't want to have to say, well, if I do these three reasonable things, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's you know, eater you know, of worlds kind of monster. Like it should be exciting. Just yeah. everything. Already. So what what happens? So what happens if you put just like forget the forget the trample, right? We have this text, we have a third like a third ability, right? And it says if this combat if this creature does combat damage to a player, you win the game. <laughs> Period. Oof. Like a like yeah. that would be like a new uh, phase the untouchable kind of thing. Yeah. Kind of reverse be, side of that. Yeah, I would. So it'd be like, mm. I think that would be like flavor-wise what this thing is because this thing comes up. It's supposed to be the end of the world, right? Like, the the gods hesitate where where the Taros treads. You know, like it, it's it's supposed to be right. that powerful of a creature that it, and it's only saving grace is that it's not very bright. It's just kind of a dumb, unthinking beast, which I don't know. Right? Maybe because just to look at it, it looks like there may not have been enough room. I do wish they would have tacked Beast onto Dino. Like, I don't mind that they made it a dinosaur, but Dinosaur Beast, I think, would have been fully appropriate. Um, right. Pull in some Ikora energy. But maybe if they Ooh. had a... If something like what you're talking about, Cham, if they had also made that conditional on cast. Um, so it gains three things when, when you hard cast it. Hmm. I think the thing I'm missing on him is some effect like the God Eternals had, because a big thing about him is like he never really dies; mm. he kind of just yeah. goes to sleep. Uh, famously, at least back in three third edition and three five, when we were playing the heaviest, you had to reduce it to zero or negative hit points and then wish it dead for it to be permanent. That was the only way to actually kill it. And yeah, with the with fast healing twenty or whatever the hell it had, like getting it to zero was no easy task so if it had something yeah. like when i die 10th from the top or something like just it can be a bad version of that just some effect to kind of give that idea that it is a constant threat and i like the idea of maybe like you're saying chance copy the god eternals but then having a second writer if this is if the terosk has if you've cast the terosk once this game you you may cast it the next time without paying its mana cost or something like that. Like you still hard cast it, but 
the cost becomes zero if you've played it once already, and it's just this constantly returning thing. Yeah. And I don't even mind if it went to bottom. Just some some of that vibe of yeah. it's not gone. Uh, this this card um, and uh, this card for me actually said to me what this the the mentality of the design space of this was to the, and, and I think this card does uh, does sort of like I don't know speak to a lot of what the whole philosophy is that this is a magic set first and a D and D set second mm-hmm. so they're going to care more about the health of standard and other games in magic rather than staying truer to the flavor of what they're the source material. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that, you know, we've had stuff like the walking dead sets and other reference sets like Godzilla. I think we saw some of that in Godzilla, like some of the Godzilla cards were amazing, but some of them were kind of like, eh, that doesn't really feel like them. They just feel like they just tacked that name onto a card. And whereas we don't get to see the direct reference because, you know, the Godzilla set was replacing cards uh, in the set proper that was designed first. It was like, oh, well, this will work. This kind of looks like, okay, here's this, what we want to do. Okay. We likely know there's some, you know, apocalyptic creature called the Terrisk. So let's, let's do a little research on it and make the card and then try to make it fit. Like, I feel like as much as there is such good flavor on some of the cards, um, I think you're going to see a theme across all of our cards where it's almost there, but not quite. You know what I mean? That's going to be a thing with a lot of my choices, at least tonight. Yeah. Um, I think, don't get me wrong, uh, not to spoil the review, I think I'm very glad we got this set, and I think it's really awesome, but as all three of us grew up playing D&D, we're just going to be disappointed on a lot of these cards <laughs> that we know about, <laughs> I think. So, um, that's the Terrisk. So, Chance, what's your first one? I'm going to start with... Zariel, Archduke of Avernus. It is a two red red for a planeswalker. Legendary planeswalker Zariel. Mythic, of course. Mm -hmm. Starts with four loyalty. Um, Plus one loyalty. Creatures you control gain 1-0 and gain haste until end of turn. Um, Zero. Create a 1-1 red devil creature token with... When this creature dies, it deals one damage to any target. And we have a minus six ability... You get an emblem with, at the end of your first combat phase on your turn, untap target creature you control. After this phase, there's an additional combat phase. I'll start with my basic gripe. Mm-hmm. I understand the design decision of Planeswalkers kind of break out of their framing and their art. The basic <laughs> art of Zariel, the chain kind of comes up, covers part of the word of of, and really just goes right through the center of Avernus. Like, yeah, you could probably like guess it says Avernus, but then if you go to the alt art, it is Zariel, Archduke of Arnus, because the chain completely covers <laughs> AVE. I like the art, don't get me wrong, but don't make the card so dang hard to read. <laughs> like, 
I think in this specific situation, you you play this version of the card, so when someone pithing needles, there's the question of, did you name the right card? <laughs> but anyway, the card itself, I, I like. It's, you know, we're kind of replacing a core set. We're going to have these five planeswalkers. A just plus for creatures to gain haste and gain more power. I really enjoy that. I think it's interesting that we're kind of getting this... The what I call the Innistrad Devil token, the one on yeah. red devils that die and do damage. It's kind of interesting we're seeing those other places, especially when we're expecting to jump into two Innistrad sets after this. So maybe that's a little foreshadowing of design space that will be more utilized. And it's a red planeswalker that doesn't do some insignificant amount of damage as a final ability in Commander, since you know we are mostly Commander players here. Getting an extra combat, getting an emblem that gives you that. I think for a four mana walker in commander that only takes three turns of play to get to its big payoff, I really enjoy the expected results from this card. If nothing else, it is a power increaser and haste enabler. And Mm -hmm. with it going into a deck I'm building, you know, having more combat steps will always just be nice when you're trying to smash face with green-red stuff. I don't know much about the yeah. character. We talked a little bit about the character when we we met like a week ago, but no real comment on the character itself aside of knowing it's like the Lord of the First Circle of Hell or something. But I like the card. Yeah. So, I really don't like the chain over the Arvernus. Yeah, and I and now that it's funny you mention that because I didn't notice that that's how the other ones are too. Lolf is clearly breaking into the her name bar, even Eliwick a little bit. Uh, Bahamas, the other one where it seems to be pretty glaring, where his staff is obscuring the A and Master. Um, but yeah, I noticed that oh, yeah. too. Like I, I thought at first it was like an unofficial reveal or an unofficial spoiler when I first saw it I said there's no way that they're going to leave and then by golly they did holy cow all planeswalkers <laughs> break their frame yeah I don't, yeah. I don't know if it started that Mordekainen, way but Mordekainen doesn't well his art doesn't really lend itself to breaking the frame um cause it seems to be the planeswalker itself slash the gear that they're carrying Whereas Mordenkainen is is sitting at his desk, is wholly confined to his frame. Mm-hmm. There's no part of him that would be busting out, but presumably mm-hmm. if they had zoomed in a little tighter, then then like the dome of his head would be dipping up over the end. Yeah, I can see that. Because <laughs> like I can, I can see three planeswalkers that share colors with Zariel, and all of them are breaking the frame with their head. Yeah. Now. His alt art is definitely breaking the frame. Yeah. But you kind of expect that from alt art treatments. Yeah. Or you expect mm-hmm. different things. But yeah, that, that plus one is super legit. I mean, there'll be a ton of red decks that are interested. If it if Zariel does nothing else than come down and plus one all game, you're going to feel pretty good about it. And then having the ability to create tokens is always a nice thing to have on a walker. Uh, and especially in this case, to be able to create tokens that don't actually reduce loyalty, uh, and, and those little those little devil 
tokens. I, I actually really like those, and I, and I hope you're right, Chance. I hope that we see those make a bigger comeback in our next Innistrad block because uh, I, I would be very interested to see that become like a maybe not a, an evergreen red mechanic, but, but a feature. It, mm-hmm. it, it helps kind of draw a distinction between devils and demons where devils are generally more affiliated with red mana and demons are more affiliated with black mana. And then, of course, obviously, there's plenty of bleed over and Rakdos for both of them. Yeah, and we did get a little bit of these tokens in Jumpstart. Um, mm-hmm. I think his name is Zerzeroth Chaos Rider. He's yeah. he made these kind of tokens from his when people draw not on their turn effect. So it's we are just seeing more of this. It is a cool effect. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Matt, uh, your second one. All right, number two. Uh, I went with one of the cards unique to the commander decks from this set. Uh, Hellish Rebuke. Two generic and a black for an instant at rare. Uh, this comes in the planar. Is it the planar chaos? planar portal deck this is the red black deck uh mm-hmm. and hellish rebuke for anyone else who plays D and 5e hellish rebuke would be a, a warlock invocation uh until end of turn permanence your opponent's control gain the text when this permanent deals damage to the player who cast hellish rebuke sack this permanent you lose two life and then the flavor text says then we burn together and i I have a soft spot for these really situational revenge cards. Objectively, this is not a good card. This is not a card that's probably going to see a lot of play because we we see this this uh, this modal aspect in white a lot. This conditional removal where the creature in question has to actually hurt you before you before it will trigger the effect that destroys it, and that ends up being just not very good most of the time because nine times out of ten the thing that you have to let hit you before this will work is something you don't want to let hit you in the first place so unconditional removal like murder or or anything else is going to be far better if it can kill the creature before Mm -hmm. it actually does damage to you but i can see that rare game or that that really kind of niche commander deck that you build for a specific purpose and the player who's the who's on the uh arch enemy throne swings in to finish you off and you're you can't do anything else casting this in response and you leave them in a really really bad position on your way out the door and i think it'll be hilarious when it happens even if it's going to be pretty corner case well uh the other the other part where i see this working out really well is something like against like a Krinko deck where they swing in but they haven't killed you yet so, or you've staved off like, okay, if I do this and this and this, I will barely live. Okay, I have three extra mana. Let's do this. Again, very situational, mm-hmm. but in those situations, I think Hellish Rebuke can outright kill a player. Oh, um, I, absolutely. I think it has that potential, but but yeah. it's probably going to mean killing you too a lot of the time. I do. Obviously, you want to avoid that, but yeah. 
I do also like that this gives you some counterplay against someone who's just gone, my board's indestructible. Yeah. You know, I can think back to specifically a game with Avison, and they're only chipping in with Avison. Yeah. Like, okay, I'll take my eight to make you sack Avison and lose two. Right. Yeah, and that's mm. that's kind of the other, maybe the more practical use is, like you're saying, against Indestructible. Uh, if someone's got asceticism down and their whole board has hexproof so you can't target any of their stuff, then, like you said, if you crunch the numbers and you can you can survive the combat, they swing in with a bunch of their stuff that you can't target anyway, then this is a nice way to kind of clean up and make them lose some life in the in the process. So, I mean, I, right. I hope I'm underestimating it. Like I said, I, I just historically that conditional removal is not good. Uh, but but I really like the design, and I like the whole, you know, if I'm going to go down in flames, by golly, you're coming with me. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Then we burn together, is the quote. Yeah. I don't know. That's That'd be something that would make me a little afraid on, like, a weenie deck. I'd be like, <laughs> why isn't he blocking? I mean, sure, I'm getting damage in, but why isn't... Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that That is like, true, too. If you were swinging in exclusively with a board of 1-1s, one like a lot of white weenie decks, then then yeah. you're going to end up losing more life than you deal damage to your opponent. <laughs> right. And losing you're your like, board. You're <laughs> like, hold on. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rough one to deal with. If... if if the corner case that people actually play this, though, yeah, like. well, and I, I think it's, I think it's a card that you kind of tailor to your play group. So, like you mentioned, you know, we all probably have that friend who has their Krenko deck that they love to go off and make a billion goblins and and swarm everybody. And if you have that person in your regular play group, this probably looks a little better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of those cards. It does more to psych people out than it'll see play. Like, you know, big thing that happened recently for Commander is Holbreacher got banned. And my discussion of why I think that happened came down to a lot of... Because the downside of every game that you had to look at someone with blue mana and they had three mana open too. Does my brainstorm become put two cards in my hand back on top and they gain three treasure? Yeah. I think it's just that... It's in your mindset. It is a concern of something that could happen. I enjoy cards that change stuff enough that now you have to be more cautious about actions. Yeah, you have to consider they, they've got three mana open with access to black. Is there a hellish rebuke waiting for me if I swing in with everything? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. All right. I uh, did not did not expect to see that card honestly in a list, but hey, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> um, so uh, my second pick is the Displacer Beast, uh, which is two and a blue for a three-two Cat Beast. See, they did the Beast, they did that, they just didn't do it with Terrisk. Um When the Displacer Beast enters the battlefield, venture into the dungeon. Blah 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 about entering the dungeon, and then it has an ability called Displacement. Three blue return displacer beast to these uh, to your owner's to the owner's hand. Its owner's hand. Sorry. Um, the only place you can be sure it's not is where whatever it appears to be. Um, I like the idea of this card. However, 
<laughs> this is this is this is gonna be the theme for me. Is uh, I like it, but <laughs> except for one of them, one of them is gonna get pure vitriol for me. But um, this is the idea of what a displacer piece would be. Is like you're trying to hit it, but it's not there. You can obviously return this at instant speed because it's just an activated ability. Um, so sort of dodge it. Also, you get to venture into a dungeon a lot if you ch so choose. You could just play this end of some, you know, before your turn. You got the mana, just pick it up and play it again. You got nothing else to do. Just keep going down that dungeon. Um, the Displacer Beast is is interesting, but what I don't like is it's so expensive to do it. I mean, the idea of the Displacer Beast is it's doing this all the time, and that's what makes it such a dangerous creature in the game, in D&D. And, yeah, I guess you could do it all the time, but you need a lot of mana for that to work. <laughs> you know, we're talking seven mana, with two of it being blue. Yeah, for for a four mana activated ability, I wonder, I wonder if it couldn't, if it wouldn't have been fine just to have it flicker itself. That still would have been in keeping yeah. with the flavor of the creature that would reduce the overall mana investment. I don't feel like that would be too much. Uh, the I think no. the natural comparison is, uh, and I'm going to butcher the name because it's another one that I've never heard pronounced quote-unquote correctly, is Acerarak, or Acerarak, the, the Lich, uh, mm -hmm. who, as long as you haven't completed one specific dungeon, when it also costs three, although it's in black, and if you haven't completed a specific dungeon, you return him to your hand. So then for three mana, you can just keep replaying him turn after turn and getting the same ETB that Displacer Beast has. Now, granted, he's a mythic, but, I mean, I've also yeah. heard people talking about that combined with Heartless Summoning, then you basically have one black mana to venture into the dungeon to your heart's content as long as you never complete the dungeon that he cares about. And you can just constantly be looping him that way versus seven mana to try to loop displacer beast uh i mean yeah. they, they they caught the essential flavor of the creature through the flicker you know the the returned hand and bringing it back constantly but yeah like you're saying if if your goal is to kind of abuse that etb seven mana is a lot to do it yeah i think there is it something is. to be said about it that it's not a monster you fight like early in your D, &D games like it's not first adventure fodder mm -hmm. normally no. So in that way, Unless with your the DM's a dick. Mechanically, <laughs> it's an uncommon for magic, so it has to have certain things. Like it can't be too saucy. Yeah. But I don't yeah. mind this idea that it's a more powerful monster, which means more mana is being used to affect it. And this kind of shows off the named ability, like the flavor text named ability displacement. They do that for a lot of things, yeah. and there's like one or one at least, but maybe a handful that actually come up that might be a like radiant style keyword where it's always explained. But I just like this inserting the flavor on top of the ability with that mm -hmm. word. Yeah. I hadn't looked into Blink Dog that much. I want to see what 
know it's there. He's, I feel like it. I feel like it fell in the same camp where it's just really overcosted for what you're getting. I think the only thing I would have liked the different Blink on Blink Dog actually phases phases out. So yeah. Blink Dog phases out. Whereas... So it technically doesn't blink at all because it never leaves the battlefield. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I just would have liked maybe one more on the mana cost for Displacer Beast and give it Flash. Uh, yeah, to be able to do yeah. it instant speed, that would make a big difference. I think that's more of the theme yeah, of being there and not being there. Flash really kind of... Mechanically, I get I it. I do like... I feel the flavor is lacking I do without like the Flash. Flavor. I do like the flavor that a Blink Dog could kill a Displacer Beast, though. Mm-hmm. Because of Double Strike? Mm-hmm. Well, they are, they are enemies. I mean, they'd kill, mm-hmm. they'd kill each other, but... Yeah, I would. All right. But yeah, it's all to say about Displacer Beast. I like it. It's just, you know, needs needs adjustment. <laughs> um, so, Chance, your second one. We're going to go to one of the new enchantments, Wizard Class. So for the 12 most basic character classes in D&D 5e, there's an enchantment for each. And they kind of have this inverted saga feeling. You have Mm -hmm. stages, like you would in a saga, but instead of getting that counter and knowing you're moving on upkeep, or maybe with proliferation or something, you're paying mana to go to the next level. So, wizard class starts with just costing a blue, and its baseline is you have no max hand size. Which is really good for one blue. And just in case you're wondering, that's already a card that already exists, called Spellbook. Mm-hmm. Spellbook's a spell. Is Spellbook zero mana? No, maybe Spellbook is zero. But the point I is, think like, Spellbook is zero. But 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 card to card, very, that is yeah, one blue for an effect that people will play some. And oh, then yes. it has pay two and a blue to go to level two. When you become, when Wizard class becomes level two, you draw two cards. So it's also when the appropriate time comes, you can instant speed divination. Questionable card, but I think just with those two effects, it's close enough. I'll play it just to be amused by it. And then the final ability is pay four and a blue to go to level three. And that gives you the static effect. Whenever you draw a card, put a one counter on target creature you control. Yep. That makes it a wizard. (laughs) In the mind frame of comparing to the other classes and effects that I already play, you know, in Commander, you're already doing things like, I'm trying to draw more cards to get this game done. And this just gives you a way to keep them all, gave you a few cards when you needed them, and now kind of gives you a win condition as long as you have a body. You know, Blue Sun Zenith, draw your 12 cards, and smack somebody <laughs> mm-hmm. so one of my one of my decks is a mono blue wizards deck and uh and i happen there you go i happen to like to play it as a creature deck even though wizards are very you know concentrated on spells but i i love the idea of flooding the board with these tiny little wizards and using their various activated abilities to 
to accrue enough value to get to a point where I have this board state of wizards and I can just swing in and smack people. And uh, this is definitely on that game plan. And, and I do really like it. It's very nice. Yeah. I think for it being one of the uncommon ones, they range, like the classes range from common to rare. I don't, there's no mythic one. But it's... Right. It's just enough to feel like I'm never going to be sad. Early on, you just get it out of your hand so you don't lose it. Mid-game, you're going to draw some cards. And even if you just draw this way late, you level up all the way, then a card draw spell still becomes dangerous. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I like it. No maximum hand size for one blue is, is solid. It's not the best, but it's solid. Yeah, I think it's and it's like two passable cards stapled together, and then an over the top effect. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, I, I like most of the class cards, honestly. But uh, being as a guy who writes D and D ecologies for monsters, spoilers, I picked all monsters. So. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, so, Matt, your third card. All right, number three, we're going back to, and apparently, I, I'm just now realizing this looking back over my list, apparently I was a much bigger fan of the Planar Portal deck than than anything else because three of my picks came out of that deck. Um, mm. So my next pick is Fiend Lash, which one generic and a red for an artifact equipment at rare. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus zero, and has reach, uh, which is an interesting, you don't see that keyword as often. Uh, whenever equipped creature is dealt damage, it deals damage equal to its power to target player or planeswalker. Equips for two generic and a red. A fiery scourge for both flesh and soul. So one of my pet decks that I'm s still brewing, I, I've never successfully put it together, but it's on my heart is a uh, Saskia the unwielding and uh, or unyielding and Saskia cares about you know when she comes in she you pick another player and you gain the ability to just kind of deal damage to that player whenever you deal damage to somebody else and so it's like she has her own arch enemy that you pick when she comes down and you just kind of punish and this feels yeah. like a card that really wants to be part of that deck uh, I like the imbalance of it doesn't matter how much damage is dealt to the creature. It gets to deal its power to whatever yeah. whatever other target, a player or a Planeswalker. And frankly, with the, with the popularity of Super Friends decks, being able to do it to Planeswalkers could be potentially very, very relevant. Uh, and there's, there's any number of ways to, to trigger that ability. It's, it's not reciprocal from the standpoint of it automatically deals it back to the source that, that dealt it damage. So you can take advantage of all the various enrage enablers. Uh, what are the big ones? Um, oh shoot. Is it, it's not pyroclasm, isn't pyro pyrohemia. pyrohemia? Yeah. Where you can just pay a red and deal a damage to everything. So on a, yeah. on a creature with a big enough, butt a few activations of pyrohemia this turns into a real wrecking ball uh equipped to the right creature mm -hmm. and i i just think it's a, a very interesting way to kind of manipulate and and deal some some targeted face damage 
Yeah. I am immediately reminded of the um, the Balrog's whip mm-hmm. in uh, Fellowship of the Ring. Considering I've been re-watching those movies this weekend, just that really stuck out with me, especially the uh, Fiend Lash is a good way to describe that whip <laughs> as well. Yeah. Yeah, funny story, Matt. I've been showing the girls Lord of the Rings. Oh, good for and you. And I got... I got the extended editions, and I have never seen them. So uh, I'm getting a, a new experience as well. Uh, However, they're... it's taking like four and a half hours yes, every day. Yes, but they're, they're really the only way to go. <laughs> I don't disagree having now watched two of them. Yeah. We're going to finish it up with Return of the King tomorrow before they go home. I don't know uh, what I missed because I cut out, but veering back to the card... Mm-hmm. I do really enjoy, like Matt said, that it deals damage equal to its power. Because like every other effect like this I can think of notes how much damage it took. Right. Yeah, it's always like a reciprocal equal opportunity thing. And this is like, nope, you ping me for one, I'm hit you with everything I got. <laughs> yeah. I like the idea, too, that like this is might be a defensive equipment, even though it doesn't look that way. Because, you know, Reach does nothing on attacking. Yeah. Yeah. I th- yep. The intent is to, like you're saying, set it up on something, especially, man, you equip this on something that's already indestructible, uh, and then and then nobody's wanting to swing into it because you're going to block with it, and then they're going to take to the face whatever its power is. This, So every once in a while, there's like pseudo-awful cards that come to mind because mm-hmm. they have really good, hilarious scenarios. I think this is the t- finally the time for Alpha Brawl to shine. Uh, you have to remind me what that is. I'll look it up specifically, but it has some wording that basically goes down the line of path of everything else fights this one creature. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think I remember hearing that one. Target, so, okay. target creature an opponent controls deals damage equal to its power to each other creature that player controls. Then each of those creatures deals damage equal to its power to that creature. Mm. Oh, Bummer. Wow. You can't do oh. it to your own. Hmm. Nope. But what you can do is you can sit there and just ping your own creature and just do that damage everywhere. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. I was just trying to think of like something cheeky because I don't, I don't imagine using Alpha Brawl often ever. But thinking, yeah. um, what could be an interesting Niv Mizzet? Uh, Niv Mizzet, yes, lets you, lets you, any of the various Niv Mizzets except for the five color let you deal damage in response to either drawing a card or drawing a card in response to dealing damage. But I, I know the original Div is a is a, uh, is a Tim. Yeah, I just remember one of them pinging one damage. Yeah. It was, I think it was on card draw. You draw a card, you get to ping a damage. It might be opponents, but if you put Div in there... You get that fiend flash. That that'd be kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh hey, I was gonna keep pinging this thing. No, stop hitting your own creature. Stop it. I don't. St- no, I don't want to give us some slower. more like seismic swans kind of things. Like just start discarding lands and. Oh gosh. <laughs> letting, letting the yeah. angry dragon lash out at everyone else. Yeah. So original Niv Mizzet. The Firemind, when you draw a card, it deals one damage to any target, and you can tap him to draw a card. 
So you can tap, draw yep. a card, ping himself for one damage, and then send... Uh, it would be six at that point if he's equipped with it. Send six damage to, to any player or planeswalker. Oh, yeah. Yep. I like it. That's a good that's a good pick. Um so we'll uh we'll move on to my next one. The uh purple worm. Which is a very classic D D monster. Uh been in since the first edition. Like most of the ones we've talked about. I don't think Terrisk was in the first one. Might have been. I remember it specifically from second edition. But anyways, we're talking about purple worm. Uh five green green for an eight seven worm. This spell costs two less to cast if a creature died this turn, which is on point for a purple worm. It's a it's a, it's a big predator, so it'd be drawn to something dying and eating it. Um, and then it's got ward too. Pretty uh pretty simple creature. Um, also a pretty simple creature in D and D. It's a giant worm that eats shit. So run. <laughs> I do you think there's one really uh, funny thing? Civil- Mm-hmm. I was gonna say one really funny thing to note with this is it's worm, as in like an analid. W O R M, not W U R M. Like it has everything else that you think would be like the worm, like craw worm and stuff like that. I just thought that was funny. Nope, <laughs> it is a worm because uh, that's what it is in D and D. It is an analid. Um, Underground civilizations maintain magical barriers around their sediments to deter these monsters. Um, I like that this is a very big card that is kind of a This is in, in the same vein of the Terrisk, where it is an iconic big monster that's hard to deal with. Um, it has less of a ward, so it's only two, but I do like that you can get this out for less mana. Also, this can be cheated out, <laughs> unlike the Terrisk. And an 8-7 is, is not something to to scoff at, but unfortunately, like the Terrisk, no trample. Yeah. Um, I would like to see something along the lines playing into this thing's tremor sense. So... So it... I don't know. Go ahead. Yeah, it's a larger conversation where they've been trying to move away from Hexproof, and Ward is kind of their answer to that, a way to make a creature mm-hmm. harder to get rid of without just flat-out removing the ability to target it at all. You can still use yeah. all your removal cards against it. You just have to pay an additional cost to do so. And I, this is this is a case where it feels like maybe they're overvaluing what ward can do so they didn't give it any extra keywords because like you said trample especially on a creature that can tunnel (laughs) would be very appropriate um yeah yeah i i would i don't know what else you could put on it other than trample that would make this maybe menace i would or something like that i would have loved this as like a mythic with when this creature attacks, defending player sacrifices the creature they control with the lowest power, or something like that. Yeah. To really give that, yeah, th- like, and that destructive feeling that it really should have. And I think that speaks back to Cham's earlier comment that that they fundamentally approach this as a Made magic a set, first. yeah, as opposed to 
paying proper honor. and and I have my own feelings that that I'll be getting into with some of my later picks as to as to why I think that's a shortcoming. Um, mm-hmm. But but I th- I agree. I think this is definitely a casualty of that. Yeah, I think so too. Um, there's a lot of things about purple worms that are neat that even D and D players don't get to see. Um, like there's specifically something about, uh, and this is actually might be a part of a Dune reference, but there's specifically stuff about their excrements being valuable and that kind of thing. And like, like, there's all sorts of cool things about this creature and you look at it surface level. Yeah. It's a big dumb worm. So like, why not just give it a bunch of stats? But, um, you know, it, it, the fact that it has tremor sense, it doesn't, it does have eyes, but like, Stuff like that where it should be able to evade... That's one of the dangers of it is it's able to tell where you are regardless of the situation. You can't blind it. Yeah. Right? You can't... You There's, like, this thing is a force to be reckoned with for many reasons and not just the fact that it's big. So, with a bunch of teeth. like <laughs> Right, like, right. So, I think that's where it, it's a little failing is it doesn't the ward is something defensive that that i can see the it coming out for a little bit less so like bringing this out for five mana a five mana eight seven is not bad but you know it's a conditional five mana Mm -hmm. so hmm, again could be better but i want to talk about the monsters because that's what i like in D &D. so (laughs) Um, Chance, your uh, third one. My third one is Kalein, Reclusive Painter. It is a red-black for a 1-2 legendary creature, human elf bard. Which, to me, is kind of a funny way that they've done the half-elves. Like, either you would think to think that, or it means nothing. And when Kalein, Reclusive Planner, enters the battlefield, create a treasure token. Other creatures mm. you control enter the battlefield with an additional 1-1 counter on them for each mana spent from a treasure spent to cast them. This initially was the commander deck I thought I might have wanted to build from the set, but moved on to something I liked better. I do enjoy the difference of the art quite a bit, because the normal art, uh, I think she is painting a Displacer Beast, and it looks like a very serious thing. But the kind of like old D and D sketch kind of style of work, she just looks so concerned about something, <laughs> and it's a little like off-putting. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it's a neat effect. I really like that we've gotten to the stage of not only do we have sacrifice matters and artifact matters, now we're in the we now have legendary creatures that could be your commander that care vividly about treasure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And in thinking of this deck, I was like, okay, so what what things can I do with a ton of treasure that would be interesting? Well, we already have stuff like Triskelion and things that can remove a counter to deal a damage, and you're more hyped on some of the combos with that. So... I really kind of started to sputter out with enough things that seemed really interesting. 
But there's also stuff like Deathbringer Thoctor that just lets you remove a counter to deal damage, and it has when something dies, it gets a counter. So I think there's plenty of room, but this is something that I, in my mind, another year of just sets and cards and treasure probably being a lot through everything else, I think this will be hilariously fun to build with. But for now, it just seems like red-black ramp that will give some odd upside to potentially smaller utility creatures actually end up being large. And it fits this kind of if you spent treasure matters. There's a few other cards that like a red I think he's a warrior. He gains haste if you spent treasure on him and his flavor text says yeah. now cost extra. And it that part of it's so amazing. And maybe this is you're a painter, so she's being paid for the paintings is why she has treasure. Like, I don't know. It does a lot. I stepped away from wanting to build it, but every part of the card seems interesting. And I really can yeah. appreciate that. As, as an uncommon legendary, it just seems perfect. That's the uh, the Jaded Cell Sword. The, it's a 4-3 uh, Dragon Warrior. And if you spent treasure to cast it, it comes in with uh, haste and first strike. And flavor text says today that'll cost you extra yeah and uh there's a there's a black one too the hired hex blade that cares about whether or not treasure was spent to cast it and i was kind of hoping we'd see a full five color cycle of mercenary type cards that cared about whether or not you spent treasure to cast them and had correspondingly appropriate abilities um so i'll be curious to see if we get something like that in the future mm-hmm but yeah, I, having Kalane as a card that I've messed around with on Arena a little bit, this set has been interesting enough to get me playing some Arena again. And uh, her her passive, like having creatures enter the battlefield with those plus ones equal to the treasure that you spend, feels really freaking good. Um, she's been pretty dope. And like you said, yeah. I, I think we're not quite at a critical mass of treasure yet, but once we get there, I think that'll be a really fun deck to build. Yeah. I like I, I like a lot of these cards, honestly. <laughs> There's a lot that, that I want to talk about even with us picking seven. <laughs> Hold on. Did I read that wrong? I'm looking at the uh, the painter in the altar, and I thought she said red-green. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I just, for some reason, I saw the, the swamp as a, as a forest. Okay, <laughs> my bad. Black red makes more sense. All right. Um. So Matt, I guess uh, you're up for the next one. All right. So from here on out, we should be looking exclusively at legendary creatures. Um. No oh boy. So for number four, I went with uh one, probably the best callback for the entire set, Minsk. Beloved Ranger. Minsk is a 
is a three mana three three costs red green and white he's a legendary creature human ranger at mythic rare when minsk beloved ranger enters the battlefield create boo a legendary one one red hamster creature token with trample and haste uh, minsk has an activated ability you can pay x until end of turn target creature you control has base power and toughness xx and becomes a giant in addition to its other types activate only as a sorcery Mm-hmm. So, for those in the know, uh, Minsk is an NPC from Baldur's Gate, the old PC games. Uh, I believe he, f I believe he only showed up in number two, Shadows of Om. That's the one that I remember him most mm -hmm. vividly from. But it's possible he might have been a late appearance in the first one, and I missed it. Uh, but I, I, I think he was just in the second one. And uh, he was a ranger with his loyal hamster Boo, his animal companion. Uh, and he, you know, he was a, a great character, much beloved by the community. Like I said, probably the best vintage throwback in this set. Uh, mechanically, very sound, feels very Naya-ish. Uh, caring about making creatures bigger for more interesting combats. The fact that he comes with the extra body, you're basically getting 4-4 stats uh including a one one with trample and haste uh feels pretty yeah. feels pretty good uh the fact that you can only activate his ability at sorcery speed is a bummer they've been doing that it seems a lot with cards that have white in their identity they've been restricting him to sorcery speed for fairness sake and the the sad truth is that in a world where instant speed is a thing um restricting cards to sorcery speed ends up being a, a pretty big hit but i can still see that basically that puts you on track then to where he's only going to make your stuff bigger when you're actually attacking uh which still feels again appropriate to naya colors uh my only real gripe about the card not even so much and again when i say stuff like this it's never a ding against the actual artist it's just a matter of personal preference H how you resurrect one of the most known characters from Baldur's gate 2 shadows of bomb and don't also bring back his original avatar art to me is is yeah. uh, is sinful at, at least that should have been an alternate card treatment for for minsk and again the the art that's on him is great it's it's nothing at all against the that particular art but i mean if you're going to dip this deep into the nostalgia give me the freaking avatar art from from the game <laughs> yeah i feel it yeah, I'd like to point out that they, they have a lot of these quote-unquote old, old styles. None of these were actual arts from the old D&D books. They're just in the same line drawing that they were. Yeah. yeah. Like, if you if you put in the old style owl bear in there, people would throw that card away. Yeah. I do like, <laughs> I do like the sketch treatment that Minsk has. Uh, mm -hmm. And like I said, I like his regular art, too. I just... It, it felt like after... We had a couple sets where it felt like they were really going deep on some of the special art treatments for for a set so entwined with a property that's known for its art. It felt like they could have gone a little deeper for the D and D set. Yeah. I, to be fair, though, Minsk is a pretty deep pull for D and D. He is. He is. And ironically, he speaks to one of the deeper issues with the set that that I'll get to later. Mm -hmm. That I'll get to later. Yeah. But, 
So, um, my next card is uh, is a hill I will die on. <laughs> Which is the flump. <laughs> One and a uh, planes. Uh, for a zero four uh, jellyfish. With defender flying, and whenever Flunt is dealt damage, you and target opponent each draw a card. And I'll read the quote before I get into the issues with this. Flump siphons thoughts and energy from evil aberrations and are often eager to share the dark knowledge they obtain with friendly adventurers. Okay. Here's the problem, alright? Decent enough card. Um, it is a flying defender, which is always good in an early game, especially if you're looking for something like a draft or a standard game. Um... The fact that people are going to attack into it to draw a card, whatever, right? You get a card off of it, too. Um, and if they can kill it, you know, I think ideally they want to kill it instead of just having, like, okay, I'll just never attack against your 0-4. Um, here's the problem I have with Flumph. Um, basically, they're playing on the whole it has poison barbs on the end of his tentacles thing, like, a, like an actual jellyfish. Um... That it retaliates when it gets hit. That is not what a flump is known for. A flump is known for the flavor text at the bottom, which they included. But, like, I feel that, like, at the very least, they should discard a card and you could draw a card. Like, that feels a lot more on flavor for what a flump is rather than, hey, let's both draw a card and, like, hug because flumps are cool. Like, <laughs> okay. This one hurts me. This one really hurts me. Because <laughs> it's just like, why? Why would you use the poison? Like, they don't... They're the, they avoid fights at all possible. There are so many things about flumps that are meant to not only mask their... Like, psychologically mask themselves from other creatures, but also physically. The fact that they look like a mushroom... That's an adaptation of living in the Underdark. They put their tentacles together to look like mushroom stalks and attach to a wall to, for camouflage. Like, there's so many things about Flumps that are avoiding getting hit. And it's like, hey, hit me. I hate it. <laughs> to be fair, though, it's one ability that is relevant in magic sense fits its theme. Sharing knowledge, both people drawing cards... You don't have to like it, I, but I, I don't think it. it's as off as you say it is. It is. It is. I am the authority on Flump. I'm putting my foot down. No. <laughs> no. Regardless. There is so many. Of how much you like it or not, it is a hug card. I will play a lot of it. Eh, whatever. <laughs> I'm not saying it's bad, but this is another clear example of a card first, flavor second. Right? Like... I don't... They they Frankensteined a flump into it. You know, uh, what would you have wanted? Flump. Uh, what I said. They lose a card. You draw a card. Okay, that's not sharing knowledge. That's devouring someone's mind. They eat thoughts. That's their food. Sure, but like, are they are kind of friendly. Like, not... To good people, good people don't attack a flump. 
Sure, but it's it's not when Flump is dealt damage, you and that source's controller draw a card. It's target opponent. So sure, it can be the evil person hurt the Flump that knowledge is collected and shared with other people. And, uh, yeah, but... I mean, a lot of times we're thinking head-to-head head, head, head to head on Magic, right? You don't think a lot about other players. We do because of Commander, but... I mean, I'm always going to say that because this... it says target opponent. Sure. <laughs> I don't disagree, but I disagree with the whole idea that it wouldn't just eat a card from whoever attacked it. Like... <sighs> Some of that and could, yes, they don't... could be mechanically... You just can't make a defending creature that makes people exile cards from their hand or something awful like that. It's just, it'd be like a 10-drop 01 or something. It's, That's what a flump is. They're a lot mightier than they look. <laughs> That's it. That's all I got. I, 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 It's just... No. What would you like your, your gravestone to say Too on bad. your hill? It's. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's, uh... has nothing to do with flumps, but <laughs> hey, they for for context so the listeners know, I, this was my first ecology I wrote was a flump, and it did very well. Um, and I became interested in a flump because it was just sort of a sign to me, and I was like, oh, well, I didn't know anything about a flump. So like, they've been in the game off and on since first edition. Um, but they're not, again, like, you know, Matt's previous card. They're kind of a deep pool in D&D. They're not, they haven't been a super popular monster in a long time. Um, it's like in 5th edition, they really popped up again. So, I'm glad to see it here. I'm glad to see the representation, but... I just... That just strikes me as odd that we're getting the retaliatory aspect of a flump rather than psychological because they're very much a psionic monster rather than a physical one so eh alright moving on you're, you're next Jones I'm going to move on to a land a treasure vault it's a rare it is actually mm -hmm. an artifact land which is relevant. super relevant <laughs> Because it's an untapped artifact land, and we've seen most of those see play. And Horizons yeah. 2 is giving us play for tapped dual artifact lands. So, beyond the fact that it just has a relevant type, it doesn't have any text, so it comes into play untapped. There's nothing that forces it into play tapped. has tap, add a colorless mana, you know, good old webding symbol. Then it has XX tap, sacrifice treasure vault, colon, create X treasure tokens. And it has some nice little flavor text. There is wealth enough inside to cause the rise and ruin of dynasties. And this is also the first time that we get to a card that has a like D&D module alternate art. Which looks like some of the old paperback books. That you could get little yes. modules and like the original red box. It's book kind of had art and framing like that. So very nostalgic for you know our very early... Trist into it, and you know, Cham and I's father, who played D&D years and years ago, 
I showed him one of these artworks and said, does this look like the books you remember beginning to play with? And he said, yes. He didn't play with them long because they only did one pre-built thing and didn't like it really well. But I just, beyond that treatment being awesome, I really enjoyed this card the more I thought about it and talked about it with a friend of mine because it is an artifact land that can net artifacts. So we already have things like Doretti. Yeah. Who can get this back out of your graveyard by sacking a treasure token after you potentially made several treasure tokens by sacking this? I don't know where you get, yeah. but I just like this popular moving piece and commander lets you loop this card to gain advantage. Just that aspect of it I like a lot. Um... I do want to point out, uh, going back to the art a little bit, this one specifically brings up, like, first edition advanced Dungeons & Dragons, but if you look at some of the other arts, like, Den of the Bugbear is specifically calling back to second edition, um, and some of them are, like, third and whatnot. Um, Lair of the Hydra, which is a card I didn't pick, uh, despite my love for Hydras, that one specifically is conjuring up fourth edition art so you actually can see different styles of D's histories in these cards it's not just first edition um it's actually really neat but the treasure vault specifically is the one that calls back to first edition advanced dungeons and dragons and i believe it's the only one that has that art style maybe hive of the eye tyrant um but it doesn't have those sort of uh simplistic colors that the treasure vault does if that makes sense yeah I, th I guess the hang up I have on treasure vault and I think I think your point is well taken chance the fact that it can create a bunch of artifacts that can then especially through red be easily sacked to recur treasure vault which is itself an artifact there's a lot of payoffs that care about the number of artifacts you have but the the double x it feels like a hang-up to me it's a bit restrictive yeah i think it has to be there because i don't want to play this in a format that's more reasonable than commander yeah take turn four off gain three treasure and then have ramped two turns that early. Yeah, no, I, th I think you're. I think you're right. I think it has to be that way. But but it is enough of a stumbling block that like I, I'll admit, like I looked at it and just kind of went on. So I and I think I'm underappreciating it because, like you said, there are there are a lot of things that care about artifacts in play. There's a lot of payoffs for it. Yeah. And I think it fits in that category, like uh, the painter, that as we get more treasure stuff, this will be more saucy. Yeah, yeah, yep. I think you're right. And even now, like, I have a deck that when I go back and look at Corvold again, that I built as a food deck, this probably knocks out a utility land, because I will activate the ability to make treasure, draw a card for sacking the land, then draw a card for each time I crack a treasure. Yeah. Like, there's... 
a lot I expect to see out of this because of that flexibility. And we have that silly artifact that we just got in Horizons 2 that if you make a food treasure or clue, instead make all. Yep. We're already seeing some of these moving pieces that treasure, depending what colors you're in, will just have enough extra stuff from it that it'll be potentially obnoxious. Like, in the base level of it, you're getting to store mana for an, a later turn by tapping out. Yeah. And the fact that it makes artifacts, that token doublers will double them, like, there's there's a lot of the right kind of moving pieces to make this more dangerous as time moves on. Yeah. Hmm. Well, uh, I don't have anything to add for Treasure Vault, so... Um, I guess uh, Matt will do your fifth. All right, number five. Uh, we'll go one more before we get into the spicy stuff. So for my fifth pick, we're going back to the precon commander decks. We're getting out of planar portal at this point, and we are getting into draconic rage. So, my fifth pick is Clouth, Unrivaled Ancient. For five generic and a red and a green, seven mana total, you get a legendary creature dragon at Mythic Rare. Uh, is flying in haste uh, for a 4-4 four, four body. Whenever Clouth, Unrivaled Ancient attacks, add X mana in any combination of colors where X is the total power of attacking creatures. Spend this mana only to cast spells. Until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. So, in a lot of ways, Clouth is a legendary version of Savage Ventmaw, kind of amped up to the nth degree. Uh, Savage Ventmaw gives you six mana evenly split between red and green. Clouth gives you any amount of mana equal to the total power of creatures you're attacking with in any combination of colors that you want. Uh, more importantly to me, Clouth is a callback to to Forgotten Realms. Uh, he, like I first come across Clouth, he has a segment in the third edition set campaign setting for Forgotten Realms, and uh, was one mm-hmm. of my favorite NPC monster villains. Uh, he's an incredibly powerful and ancient red dragon who lives in a veil all unto himself. And uh, and I what I what I really like about what they've done with this card is that Clouth was more interested in magic than the average even than than even the average dragon and was specifically yeah. called out as having trained himself to wield wands with his wing claws so that he could he could unleash wand strikes mid combat in addition to his breath and claws and whatever else so i feel like his ability to generate this absurd amount of mana through attacks is kind of reflecting that magical inclination. Uh, I like that he's he kind of lends himself towards like uh, an X mana build where you would just load this deck up with a bunch of big splashy X mana spells and then Clouth is going to let you cast them for some absurd numbers post combat. And uh, his yeah. art is gorgeous. 
Uh, I'm a little granted. I, I can see it balanced against his his combat ability. Uh, a four four body for seven mana is a bit of a kick in the balls. Uh, I don't see any reason he couldn't be a six six at least. Uh, but I, I get it. You know, I, I understand why they did it. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. It's a really neat card. It's actually something I included in the deck I'll talk about building. But definitely the uh, safety valve on his mana only is meant for spells. I think yeah. it, it might have just been global fatigue of <laughs> relentless assault. Or I forget what the name of the enchantment is. That you could just pay five for another combat. Like we just didn't need yeah. something else that did that. Yeah. And I, thinking of this card specifically, I was actually kind of hyped on, you know, the X spell, sure, but there's a few X spells that have buyback. So yeah. I do kind of think it's funny that you can look at him and maybe attack with 17 power of creatures, cast this red X spell that has buyback. You're sinking. It's either two or three mana into the red cost, three into the buyback, and you're still hitting something for more than ten. Yeah, because I think that's where he kind of starts to unravel. Uh, if you don't have a bunch of extra combat spells along with card yeah. draw, I have that little worry of okay, I made twenty mana, I spent it, pass, board wipe, uh oh. <laughs> yeah and and then, i mean i think my concern i don't know i he strikes that good balance he, i think he's interesting enough to want to try to brew around himself as a commander but i kind of see him more as a as a piece in other decks oh yeah I, and i think that speaks to what what you were saying that you're going to talk about him in conjunction with one of your choices coming up but I always have mixed feelings when there's a, a, a legendary creature that I I really like, but recognize that mechanically it's going to be a support card in another deck. It's not going to be the star of its own show. I gotcha. And they, they gave him a signature spell alongside the creature version, so we have Clouth's Will for X mm -hmm. and Red, Red, Green. You get an instant that lets you choose a mode and if you control a commander you get to choose both and I'm a little bummed that it's one mode is breathe flame you deal X damage to each creature without flying as opposed to also hitting players and I don't think there's any reason it shouldn't also be able to hit players I gotcha hmm. yeah because that, that definitely feels like earthquake hurricane kind of effects that exactly tend yeah. to just slap everything yeah. I do think it's funny. Like This this kind of brings up one of my, my gripes of Magic in the last several years of incomplete cycles or cycles with weird numbers of cards. So this is like the sixth of the will cycle because in Commander Legends, we got monocolored cards that had the same thing. You choose one effect, but if you had your Commander, you get both. And they're monocolored yes. effects. So it's very funny to kind of yeah, to nod to this a... as a design space and yes. give us an odd number. like an, Six isn't but odd, but no... a weird number of cards that have that. 
Right, because everything mm. in Magic is groups of five, so we would expect that this would be part of a cycle with all the, the allied colors. At least potentially. Like, Thankfully, they haven't done us dirty because there's only four commander decks. We didn't get um, one of the cards I'll, I'll talk about, I think, as the Endeavor. Yeah, the Endeavor cards. We actually got an Endeavor for each color. Yeah. So I'm at least happy they've not betrayed us that far. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and then my my own personal gripe. And again, in in Klaus' case, I really like his art. But one of my one of my scathing critiques for this whole set is that we have a lot of new dragons, which are obviously Dungeons and Dragons, one of the most iconic creatures in in both games, both Magic and D and D. And not mm. one of them illustrated by Todd Lockwood who is arguably the most iconic dragon artist in fantasy gaming. In D&D. Yeah, in D&D yeah. for sure, but arguably in fantasy gaming, mm. period. And it just feels like a catastrophic miss to not have anything by Todd Lockwood, especially a dragon by Todd Lockwood in the magic D&D set. Yeah. And I mean, maybe they'll correct that in the future. Maybe Wizards has had a falling out with Lockwood in recent years, and they don't they don't commission much from him anymore. But that that felt very glaring to me. Yeah. Hmm. It's still good, though. I mean, I I enjoy the art on it. It's just oh yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying about again. Lockwood. Yeah, again, like his his art is awesome. I really like Klaus' art, but when you look at at Lockwood's version in in that campaign setting book, they could have just ported that over, and it would have been equally awesome. I would have been right thoroughly overjoyed. <laughs> I wonder if that's like a a rights thing. Right, because he he may be like, no, you can't use that anymore. Right, kind of deal. Yeah, but to me, then you pay the man. You you pay the man to use it. Fair. I mean, they can afford it. Fair. They can absolutely afford it. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, so my next one uh, is another flavor fail, but I still like that it's here. Uh, is the rust monster, two and a red for a two one. Uh, it's a creature beast um, that has first strike and sacrifice an artifact colon rust monster gets 2-0 until end of turn. And then the quote on it is, they don't seem scary, but then you're suddenly standing there in your underclothes without a weapon. Then everything looks like a threat. Jaro Battlemaster. Um, kind of got the right idea, giving it more attack on a first strike if you sacrifice an artifact. However, I feel it should be the opponent's artifacts disappearing because it's eating whatever it's attacking, rather than feeding it an artifact and say, go out and boy. Like, I just, it feels backwards. It feels like it should be destroying artifacts, defending player controls, or um, something that may not be as powerful, because this is just an uncommon um, is possibly have if uh, any equipment attached to defending creature um, would be destroyed and it gains 2-0 for each uh, equipment destroyed that way. Um, I feel like that is a more flavorful rust monster than what we got. Because like that's like kind of like it has a... You're, it's a pet. 
and you're feeding it and then it's going out like it's it's a bit weird it's a bit weird but it just feels backwards to me i get you i i agree that this should have been some kind of variation or even an improvement on ingot chewer uh, mm. which is a creature, you know, a, a mainstay that's even been played in a lot of the competitive formats, has evoke that when it enters the battlefield, you destroy target artifact. Like, I I feel like, at the very least, that should have been the baseline. Yeah. And yeah, even the quote sort of plays to, it attacked you and you lost your stuff. I mean, that's that's the danger of a rust monster is it eats your equipment. Exactly, yeah. And um, as an aggressor, not as oh hey, I, I fed you a shield now go do my bidding like yeah, it's not a it's not a hound. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so and I think that I think that pony or uh, piggybacks on what you said earlier about the needs of the set versus the needs of capturing the flavor of D and D right. Yeah. It's just a little odd. Like, it could so have the, been a Beast Rexage with First Strike that only had artifacts. Because yeah. we've had uh, Wild Celebrants and stuff like that that are just mm-hmm. this body that's a little smaller than the cost, but ETB destroyed artifact. But I think he accidentally got punched out by a treasure card. Because I think there is a... I think it's this set. I don't think it's Horizons. Yeah, Plundering Barbarian. We have our two and a red for a 2-2 ETB destroy target artifact. And because it's D&D, it's yep. or make a treasure. Yeah. Yep. So I think that is really where Rust Monster should have been doing something. But they wanted to slam more treasure in, so we've got what Rust Monster is. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Another... Another victim of magic over D and D, and there you go. Not a lot to say about that one. It's an okay <laughs> card, um, but we'll move on. Um, Johns, what's your uh, your fifth? My fifth goes to another legendary creature I was thinking about building, uh, Delina Wild Mage, three and a red, for a legendary creature, Elf Shaman at rare. It's a three-two. Whenever Delina Wild Mage attacks, choose target creature you control, then roll a d20. And that is something that we've not touched on yet, but it's kind of hilarious that we are rolling dice on black border cards. For the most part, it's d20s. But a very hilarious point is, I'll read the abilities and then talk about some some other aspects of it. Uh, On results 1 through 14, create a tapped an attacking token that's a copy of the creature, except it's not legendary and it has exile this creature at the end of combat. Results 15 through 20, create one of those tokens, roll again. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the roll ranges were set to what they are, so they're not real possible to roll the wrong kind of dice or flip coins easily. Because Delina has a 30% chance for the good effect. So it's hard to express that without rolling the d20. (laughs) Yeah, for the, uh, I would argue for the better effect, because both of her effects are good. And it's, it unfortunately, in my like of the card, has come up as a serious standard deck with the 
if you're familiar with 5e D&D advantage means you roll 2d20s and choose the better well there's pixies that do that the barbarian class does that so there's a deck that's just delina mm -hmm. attacks and once you make enough pixies you make infinite pixies and they die So beyond that, yeah. I thought it was a really cool, different angle. Maybe uh, I'm accidentally taking up the Mono Red Needs Love slot in this cast now, but it just seemed really interesting as a, I can really double down and care about an ETB deck in Mono Red. And that seemed really mm. interesting. Oh, yeah. I can get out of hand, too. Real out of hand. I mean, you're like 50%-ish if you have your advantage from your Barbarian class to get more than one token. Mm -hmm. But when we're minimum getting another cop, like getting a copy at least, there's things that are like, we're probably just happy for it. We're happy to get your attacks trigger on attacking with your Inferno Titan make a copy of Inferno Titan, get the same trigger on the ETB side of things, or even just slam your Solemn Simulacron into play, get him to attack, get the token that gives you the land, and I think with all the things I've considered with this specific build, I'd want sacrifice effects. I'd want, like, Goblin Bombardment and things. Because it does have oh. Exile it at the end of combat, would want to after damage before the end of combat be able to sack it yep get some extra mileage out of it beyond that like i i put quite a bit of a list together it was really interesting seemed like a really fun thing to do that really felt very D. &D. i was going to be rolling dice regularly and i think that aspect yeah. of it was also somewhat exciting mm-hmm and I can I can see that aspect of it, and definitely have an appreciation for it. I know when we when you and I discussed this briefly earlier in the week, um, my only issue is that this is one of those abilities that is going to be complicated to represent, especially in paper, um, because of the potential volume of tokens you're going to be making and keeping track of. Oh yeah. And, and so I it's a card that that I read and was like, damn, that's powerful. Not for me. And just kind of kept on <laughs> moving. Cause it, it was like that, that's more complexity than I'm probably going to enjoy on more than, you know, it'll be fun that one time. <laughs> and, but it is another and legend I, and I, that fit into the deck. I'm actually building. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'll admit, I'm glad you clarified. Cause I, I had misread it. My my understanding was that she copied herself, and I'm just now seeing that she can theoretically copy whatever you've got. And she and can so copy like herself. Said, I think that's something I feel like other people are missing, since they're so wrapped up in the fairy combo. Like, you can just copy yeah. her to get three more damage. Yeah, and and that's what I've that's what I've run up against when I've seen her on Arena. And I was like, oh, gosh, she's just going to make a bunch of copies of herself in that... Ugh. <laughs> Again, powerful, it works, but woof. I mean, if you got a bigger creature, too, that's just insane. Yeah. It'd be interesting <laughs> with uh, something like Stalking Vengeance. 
which would be a way to kind of abuse those exit the battlefield triggers. Or, you know, you just make a bunch of Terrisks. Sure. Yeah, that too. Yeah. But uh, then you haven't cast they're them. they're not legendary. Then you haven't cast them so they don't get Ward 10 or Haste. Well, they're tapped and attacking, <laughs> yeah, so who out. cares? They're tapped and attacking, <laughs> yeah. You just made a couple 10-10s. <laughs> who With, cares? Without trample, they just get chump blocked by one ones all day. <laughs> hey, yeah, hey, that, so that first one and fought actually, something. Copies of her would Don't be. And actually, you wouldn't. And actually, you wouldn't get the fight trigger because they didn't attack. They they came in tapped and attacking. We're we're talking about the fact they're ten ten. No. anything else. Is, <laughs> I mean, if we're worried about that, then we just need our uh, what are they called? Desolation twin, the ten ten that makes the ten ten token. Yeah, when you cast it. <laughs> is it really a cast trigger it's a cast it's, it's an Eldrazi, Eldrazi so I don't doubt trigger. it but yeah trust me it's a cast yeah. trigger yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of crazy things you can do with it <laughs> um I do like that uh I don't know where Delina comes from or if that's original I I have a feeling she's she's new to the set. Okay. Yeah, I don't know, but wild mage is a thing in D and D. Yes, for sure. Very much so. It's funny that we have, you know, a subdiscipline of sorcerer being represented as magic creature type shaman. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um. So number six, Matt, All the right. penultimate. The penultimate and probably the juiciest pick for me personally from a discussion standpoint. Uh, so at the end of the last episode when we were discussing Modern Horizons 2, I made my, my call, uh, called my shot, and sure enough, we did in fact get Orcus uh, in this set. We also got Rod of Orcus in the pre-con commander decks also. Uh, ironically, in the uh, planar, planar Portal deck. So that's how, again, it kind of ended up being, I guess, my favorite deck by default. Uh, it seemed like there yeah. were a lot of cards printed for that deck that, that just kind of struck my fancy. Um, or no, you know what? I take that back. The Rod of Orcus shows up in the Dungeons deck. It shows up in uh, Dungeons of Death. Makes sense. Yes. So I'm kind of cheating here because I'm talking about mm. both of them because if anyone who's savvy with D&D lore knows that Orcus can't be discussed independent of his famous rod, uh, the magic artifact that, that sort of symbolizes his, uh, his power as both a demon prince and a minor deity. And, uh, and I know that the three of us kind of discussed it loosely earlier in the week before we recorded the episode. Um, so I've kind of hit the high points with you guys, but the gist is that I, this was the first magic set in a while that I was really jazzed about because of the D and D tie in and yeah, understandably then with higher expectations comes a higher potential for those expectations not being met. And, you know, overall, I'm very happy with the set. There's a lot. They've done a lot of interesting things. We got a lot of really flavorful cards that I felt like they captured D and D energy very, very well. Um, but there were always going to be the cards that fell short, and it felt like to me the ones that fell the shortest 
fell at the the rare and mythic level and orcus kind of epitomized that for me um he's not what i wanted from an orcus card so orcus prince of undeath x and two generic and a red and a black so four mana baseline plus whatever else you want to pay for a legendary creature demon uh, at rare he has flying and trample for a 5-3 body when orcus prince of undeath enters the battlefield choose one each other creature gets minus x minus x until end of turn you lose x life or return up to x target creature cards with total mana value x or less from your graveyard to the battlefield they gain haste until end of turn uh so obviously as the demon prince of undeath i do feel like they've kind of captured his essence with these two modes so the fact that he can come down and kind of wipe the board uh very very handy and the f I, I have such mixed feelings about the fact that he has x in his cost because he has an x in his cost that does not impact his stat line and yeah there's good and bad that comes with that like i think it's right that his size isn't wholly dependent on what you pay for x but kind of like what i was mentioning with Kalane earlier when chance was talking about Kalane, having played on arena a deck that runs both orcus and Kalane, when you have Kalane down orcus feels much more the way that orcus should when he gets plus one plus one counters equal to the amount of treasure that you spent to cast him so when he comes down as a as a nine seven you know or, or an eight six he feels much more correct for the demon prince of undeath and, and i know like i'm usually not one who falls into the argument of like dies to removal but the freaking demon prince of undeath should not be able to be taken out by a lightning bolt demons are immune to lightning anyway so that yeah the, the three toughness feels particularly egregious uh and then also because Orcus cares a lot about, uh, he, he's a very gluttonous demon prince. So the fact that you lose life when, when you choose his board white mode feels incorrect to me. I feel like it would not be overpowered if you gained life equal to whatever you spent for X. And I mean, everything gets minus three, minus three, and you gain three life. That's not backbreaking. That's not crippling. Uh, I also said that, you know, his, his reanimator mode, because of the undeath aspect, that's very appropriate. I like that. I don't like that it's a total mana value. I think it should be all creatures that meet the X criteria. And again, I don't feel yeah. like that would be overwhelmingly. And Because it's a steep cost, because it's X plus the, what, four, five? Yeah, yeah, like, if X is one... You're going to return all your creatures with mana value one or less, and you still paid five for him. Like, yeah. it, you're not getting a, a, a massive deal there. Uh, everything else is a little bit more nitpicky. You know, demons, I've said before, they're, they're the iconic monster for black mana, and it feels like lately they've been pushing a lot more red-black demons at us. And, again, red-black demons, very appropriate, but... I really wanted a mono black Orcus. Again, the fact that he's the Demon Prince of Undeath, Undeath and Zombies being an intrinsically black mana identity, uh, that feels like a no-brainer to me. 
Um, so yeah, I, I have really, but then conversely his rod, I feel like they did a really good job on the rod. I feel like they captured the Orcus energy. It's a mono black artifact, uh, wand of Orcus, two generic and a black for a legendary artifact equipment. Whenever equipped creature attacks or blocks it and zombies you control gain death touch until end of turn. So very appropriate. Whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, create that many two, two black zombie creature tokens and it has an equipped cost of three. That feels, that's a slam dunk in my book. I think that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. One seems pretty good as far making lots of zombies. Oh, yes. I, I think we, we have to go back to this is a magic set first, and we just have to know that. Because yeah. the more that we're talking about this card... And I can feel all the flavor stuff. I honestly, being someone who knew less about Orcus, was disappointed to him just to have the creature type demon. You know, from my play experience, I would have been much happier if he was demon god. I I agree he should have the super type god along with demon. And as far as his revive, like, I don't necessarily have bad feelings about the lose life like I, the theme of him being gluttonous i understand but as far as magic mechanically x board wipe you lose x life we've had a lot of that and in the same yeah, way the yeah. revive i can understand mechanically let's revive all things that are little is very much white space of revival right so i think this this just falls you know a victim to magic first that it was a little at war with itself of what made sense for the character outside of what colors the character made sense within. And and within the scope of falling prey to magic first, I feel like specifically Orcus falls prey to standard magic first. This is first and foremost a standard set that is accompanied by four pre-constructed commander decks, each deck featuring what 15 cards that were designed for commander play and it feels like a lot of the cards in the main set that naturally would have a lot of carryover to commander as a format did not receive a commander level of power or consideration uh, because sure. they had the design space of the pre-constructed commander decks to exercise that yeah. And so he he feels like a standard card. He does not feel like a commander card. And I, I feel that because he definitely, I feel, you're going to get into a sloggy draft that you have him. You're going to pay him for eight mana. You're not going to care that you lost four life because you're going to kill every creature your opponent controls unless they've got big green uh, things. Again, I've been playing with him on yeah. Arena. He's a house. 1v1 standard. When when Orcus hits the field, as long as you're hitting X's three or more, you're probably coming away with the win because he, he makes that yeah. big of an impact when he lands. But I know that that's not going to carry over to Commander play the same way. Right. And he, as a character, Orcus is made for Commander. Let's... Yeah. um. Let's put some things into perspective here, uh, as far as like, so the audience understands. It, it, Orcus in power level is not being, as a creature, represented to what would make sense, because Orcus is like a major demon, right? And a major demon's a he 
gigantic threat. Oh, yeah. Um, he- so if you think about challenge level, Orcus is typically at the top end. We're talking level 20, maybe 20 plus. Um, I think in, in specifically in 4th edition, he was 21, it- which was one above the max level. Um, no, in 4th edition, I think he was just a flat challenge rating 30, because 4th edition also had like the up to level oh, yeah, 30 yeah, yeah, yeah. built in. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. I just remember the he's on the front of the monster manual. Yes. Um, but he is both he is yeah. both a demon prince of the infinite layers of the abyss. So in the same company, the the, the demon princes of the abyss are equivalent to the to the archdukes, the archdevils of the nine hells, uh, who all but Asmodeus, who is a greater god, um, are, yeah. are still incredibly powerful individuals. Orcus also being unique among the prince, the the archdukes or the uh, the demon princes of the abyss, and that he is also worshipped as a deity. So he has that divine energy as well. So he's both yeah. an incredibly powerful demon and a minor god, and those two things together. Well, yeah, all those things to service to say that this guy is supposed to be extremely powerful, and. There is a problem with magic and how it handles power and toughness. Essentially, a 5-3, right? What is is a a typical 3-3 is a centaur, right? We're talking like... The the power level of this stuff, I mean, you look just just in this same set, Minsk, beloved ranger, right? I have no, no qualms with Minsk, but Minsk is a mere mortal, and he can take out Orcus in one hit. Um, I think an interesting place to go with this is we actually have both directions now. We have the understanding of how powerful Orcus is in D&D, and we also have magic cards expressed in D&D campaign settings. Like, Mm -hmm. Borbigramos, we have show up as a challenge rating 18, who is a 7-6 or 6-7, depending on his printing, I think. And border biggie. In every yeah. scenario, Orcus will be a more dangerous thing to come against, and it is disappointing that he's right. tidier. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that there's that, that, but in general, magic has power problems as far as representing, like, what makes sense for power of a creature. So, like, think of your standard dragon, right? Your standard dragon's a four-four. And what what would we think of a standard dragon in D anD D? We're talking like challenge rating ten, like challenge rating eleven at least. So like, yeah. so then we get like uh, in this set we have Tiamat, which I don't think any of us picked. Did not. Um, uh, Tiamat is a great card, sure, but she's a seven seven, and she's the god of all chromatic dragons, and we're like this is like. Even above Orcus, right? And she, yeah, sure, that makes sense power wise, 7 7 versus a 5 3. But, like, I don't know. Um, what is, what's the one I really like to use um, that hits everyone? Um, you have to be gosh, a little more specific. The Balefire <laughs> Dragon? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 7 mana, 6 um, 6. Yeah, 6 6. Yeah. 6 6. Um, that thing's a plaything to Tiamat, like, as far as, like, power of dragons should go. 
And there's only one power and tough. That's the problem that, that magic has, is it's so fine-tuned on the lower end of numbers that it's sort of like got this um, diminutive return on power and toughness. Like, like I think it more has... It's so scrunched up. Mechanically, they want the game to function, and then they'll weave lore if they can. Yes, yeah. Right. And, and again, yeah, that's where magic is, is over flavor in this spot but, but the, like being big D D fans there are supposed to be these great powers that were and they're here because they're interesting and their people want to see them but it's like they're very underrepresented on how powerful these things are right like and um you know even even looking at this like in the same row that i can see i see dritz duerden and Bruder battle hammer dritz one shots with no damage on orcas like, that wouldn't happen. As much as awesome as Dritz is in the stories, he would not one-shot Orcus. <laughs> right. And and so then, to, to me, the solution becomes, you know, I think we're all on the same page. This is not the last time that we'll see Magic and D&D intersect. So there, there's obviously another quote-unquote gripe, you know, is that, there are so many characters in D&D lore that mm-hmm. could have been in this set that were not in this set, and I'm confident that we'll see them at some point in the future. I mean, uh, the the one that stands out to me, we got Mordenkainen, who's from Greyhawk, the original D&D campaign setting. We did not get Elminster, who is the defining archwizard of Forgotten Realms. We did not get an Elminster yeah. card with this set. To me, that's a particularly egregious omission. Why on earth did we get Mordenkainen and not Elminster when Elminster is so much more synonymous with the realms than... I mean, Mordenkainen doesn't even yeah. exist in the realms. And that's because of the way that D&D has kind of merged some of their setting worlds and kind of altered their approach to how they... And that, that's, that's an underlying issue that has kind of spilled over into the set. That's not the fault of the set itself. But, I mean, in a set where yeah. they're really trying to spotlight... Dritz and Bruinor and and you know kind of the the actual heroes the quote unquote player characters Minsk you know did we really need Orcus in this set could we have saved Orcus for another area could they have put Orcus in the in the commander precons and not in the main set yeah. And and well, I mean that's where they put Wolfgar and Caterbury too. Yeah, so. and because of the divine of the design space that a commander precon allows, could they then have delivered something that felt more grand and appropriate to Orcus? Or you know, any of these higher end. Oh, as Medeus you know, too, for that beans. matter. Yeah, yeah, and, um, like uh. I don't think any of us picked Bahamut either, and Bahamut being the equivalent, you know, the good equivalent of Tiamat being what it is. Like, there's there's a there's a big problem where it just doesn't it doesn't it's not representing the world of D and D well because it's servicing magic first, and right. that's and it kind of, fine. And, and it is point, a magic set. Yeah, to Chance's yeah. point, it kind of has to. No, and it will never not, but. This is the first time it's... Ha- I didn't mind in Godzilla. I love Godzilla. I was just happy to see Godzilla there. Yeah. Uh, um, again, if you were going to be... Tr- but, if you were going to be true to the kaiju, the smallest of them should have started at 9-9 or a 10-10. There should not have been anything under right. that size if you were going to accurately try to represent what those creatures are 
in magic terms, but that's not sustainable from a gameplay standpoint. You're, you're not going to have uh, any kind of actual no. play experience if you do that. That's, yeah, and I think that's where, I guess that's where, I, I guess that we have to do this for ourselves and, and listeners. If, if you're into D&D, temper your expectations because this is... This is all referen- referential. This is light. You're not. You're not. We're going to get some deep cuts on th- some things, and even my rant about the flump, we're not going to get there. Like it's not. <laughs> this this is this isn't the set you're looking for if you want a true D and D experience in Magic. It's just not there. It'll be surface level, and that's fine. There's some really cool things they're doing, like the class card enchantments. Um, that kind of thing. I, this is more like an end. End of. We still have more cards to do, but yeah, yeah. I just it it just. Also, I just want to say this real quick. Um, the fact that they have four out of five of the companions of the hall, but both. So they got Dritz and Bruner, and then Canterbury and Wolfgar in the commander decks, and no Regis. And the <laughs> the recent, uh, Dark Alliance video game did the exact same thing to Regis, like. Why? Why does everyone hate Regis? Poor like, Regis. What, what's wrong? Yeah. What? No. No one's going to know who he is now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, other than people who, you know, read the books or whatever. Um, they they, they Tom Bombadilled him. Yeah. There you go. That's a reference. Yeah. Um. So uh, uh, we'll we'll. Uh, do you have more to say about Orcus or are we good? No. Again, just I I I could go on ad nauseum, but. Orcus, yeah. I, I fully recognized that Orcus was not, if we got him, he was not going to be what I wanted Orcus to be. I still feel they could have delivered something closer than what we got. I feel like, I feel like that's all of my picks, excluding one. Yeah, like it's to the that- point that they, they gave me an Orcus and I don't know to look at him that I would have any interest in building a deck around him and that's that's very heartbreaking for me. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, because you you want to represent what you like. Yeah, and yeah, you just can't. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't intersect. Like well. like if I'm building a red black demons deck, I'm not running Orcus over Rakdos the Showstopper. Right. I'm just not there. It would fair. There would no. There would be no reason to do that. Um. So, so my my penultimate, my sixth card is a card that I actually really super like, um, and I don't have gripes at all. Is the Neverwinter Hydra? Now I can be pretty. I don't know. I won't. I won't say that. I was gonna say I can be pretty tough on some hydras, but I, I'm not really. No, I just love hydras. But um, Neverwinter Hydra is a zero zero uh, hydra that costs XX green green. Um, and it's just creature Hydra. As Neverwinter, a Hydra enters the battlefield, roll XD6. Uh, it enters the, uh, with a number of 1-1 counters equal to the total of those results. Uh, it has Trample, and it has Ward 4. I love this. I love the idea of rolling dice for a Hydra, because as a DM, that is exactly what you are supposed to do with a Hydra to see how many heads it has, typically. If you want to do, unless you're predefining, like, okay, I want a five-headed Hydra here. But typically, you would actually roll to see the number of heads on the Hydra. 
And I love that. I love that little bit of flavor that is added in there. And this is something that can be fudged a little bit because in D&D lore, I don't think there is such thing as a Neverwinter Hydra. They just stuck a name on a Hydra. There you go. Um, or at least not to my knowledge. Uh, there could be, it could be a reference in the games. Um, I know that Neverwinter Nights has some iconic monsters in there like the Hydra, but um, could it could be a reference to that one. But uh, yeah, I just... I like it. I like rolling for Hydra heads. It just makes sense. And I'm okay that it's half of XX. That that could be busted if you roll for, you know, 6d6 uh, for a Hydra. It'd be kind of nasty. Boy, do I have gripes with this card. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's pretty good. Like, we have to have the mindset of you can roll low, you can roll high, so let's think about what the average roll is. The yeah. average amount of yeah. die roll values for mana investment, you tend to do as good or better than mana invested for power toughness. Mm-hmm. So if you're just paying this yeah. for four mana, eh, you might get a one one. But six mana is probably where your your two two to twelve twelve, with it most likely being around a seven seven. That's yeah. just passable. It has trample. That's a lot of the better hydras naturally have trample, and it has that protection of having ward four. So yep. it doesn't. Which many hydras do not have inherent protection. That's a big thing with hydras. They just don't have a lot of protection. Let's not miss that they've showed their hand that they can print trample and ward on the same creature. Ooh. Yeah, Wait, I know. Not in standard. Which we missed not twice. In standard. <laughs> not in standard. That's true. <laughs> Yeah, but for, this is this this is a commander card. For yeah. for X equals three, uh, you're getting somewhere between a three three and an eighteen eighteen that has both trample and ward four, so potentially not quite twice the size of the Terrosk for one less mana, <laughs> <laughs> and it has a effective evasion via trample. <laughs> and I mean ward ten and, and ward four uh, are close enough, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, I think there's a lot of situations where, yeah, they're probably about the same. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, Ward 4, you're like, oh, man, I do I really want to spend four extra mana on this? Ward 10, they're like, I mean, you're in dire straits if you're paying 10 extra mana for a kill spell. But especially for something that doesn't... I do think it's it. kind of funny for the uh, people that like rely a lot on stuff like Maze of Ith. Maze of Ith actually costing four mana instead of just being a throwaway ability. Yeah. I think is the difference of just getting to do it because it's cool versus there is a cost now. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's true. Um, I don't have much else to say on Neverwinter Hydra. I think it's, other than the fact that it's one of my favorite Hydras to have released in a long time. Um, just think it's really cool rolling dice, and I don't even care that it's half of, you know, XX. It's fine. So I, I'm always really dubious of XX spells, just because the the diminishing returns for what you have to pay. Uh, and so this is a really interesting compromise on that, where mm-hmm. s- statistically you're still likely to come out ahead on it. Oh yeah. Yeah, and if you have, um, let me find it. What is it, the barbarian class? 
We got a barbarian in play. Yeah. If you were to roll one or more dice, instead roll that many dice plus one. Oh, yeah. And ignore the lowest roll. <laughs> in, in that case, you probably get close to being guaranteed at least at like a 10-10. Be, be doing better, for right. sure. I mean, depend, yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of looking at it with like eight as the baseline. I'd, like yeah. you said, Chance, I don't know that I really want to cast this for four and risk ending up with a 1-1. One, one. Um, although, when you if you feel end up with a 5-5 five, five, or a 6-6, six, six, you're going to feel pretty good. Um, but yeah, I think 6-8 to eight is kind of what I view the baseline as. Yeah. Um, it's solid. I like it. Um, so, that's, that's my number six, so... Chance, uh, number six for you. This will probably end up being my biggest card, but we're going to talk about Wolfgar of Icewind Dale. He is three generic, a red and a green, for a legendary creature, human, barbarian, at rare, in the red-green pre-con. He's a 4-4, and he has melee, which is hilarious, because this is the second set ever to have melee. I think it's just this <laughs> card. And that is, when this creature attacks, it gets 1-1 until in the turn. For each opponent... You attacked this combat. And there's another line of text. If a creature you control attacking would cause a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. Which is cool, so, because baseline, melee, <laughs> will also trigger again. I would say, so he basically is a 6-6 six, six when, when attacking. With no other, no, no other things considered. He gets 2-2 two, yeah. two more for each other opponent you attack. Right, right. So if you swing across the table in a four-man pod, he's a 10-10. Oh, yeah. Just as long as you have two other bodies that are legal attackers. Yeah. He was a really cool build. Um, his ability gives a little more than you might think on the surface. So just going to the one artifact in the deck for me... That's not a man of rock. It's sort of the animist because it's an ability on a permanent that triggers when a creature you control attacks. So sort of the animist will on attacks trigger, go get you two basic lands out of your deck and put them into play tapped. That seems pretty good. Oh yeah. So the theming of this deck was definitely, I want to play things that care about attacking, but I also want to make sure the cards are just good anyway. So yeah, Going over to my list of some of the things I specifically cared about. Uh, Krinko, 10 Street Kingpin, was kind of one of them that was interesting. He's a 1-2 uh, for 3. When he attacks, you put a 1-1 one, one counter on him, and then you make a goblin token equal to his power. So you get these effects that... They're okay. They're playable. But when you get them twice layered on top of each other immediately, they become way more explosive. So one attack of Krinko now is potentially 5 tokens instead of 2. Because you will add the counter again before you finish resolving the second ability to get now three because he has three power. In a lot of the same ways, you'll get things like Blossoming Bog Beast was a card I really liked from the Strixhaven precons. Um, when he attacks, you gain two life, then all of your attackers get XX or X is the amount of life you gain that turn. Well, getting to trigger that twice, if you've gained no other life, you're going to gain two, plus two, plus two across the board. Gain two, plus plus four, plus four across the board. 
and this right. layers really well with other similar effects. I'd originally had... Mm, I deleted the card name. I don't remember what it is. But a similar effect on a 3-drop that's when it attacks, each other attacking creature gets plus X plus SX where its, its power is checked. But in the same way, now we have Pathbreaker Ibex that I made it into the deck. Oh no, that's terrible. <laughs> I don't oh, even need gosh. a wide board for people to just die, for everyone to just die from attacking. Yeah. Oh yeah, Pathbreaker gets nutty on four. Like you just have Wolfgar four creatures, that thing is... Attacks, yeah. we'll attack correctly, we'll stack our triggers, we'll make sure melee resolves before anything else. So we've got our happy little 10-10 Wolfgar. And then Pathbreaker goes, I see a 10-10, everyone gets 10-10. And then Pathbreaker would trigger again and go, I see a 2020. Everybody gets 2020. <laughs> yeah. That's Wolfgar, yeah. Pathbreaker, Pathbreaker one other nuts. legal attacker. Yeah. And Jesus, yeah. this just kind of exploded in some of the hilarious things with that. And it ends up, there's, there's small creatures too that I was really happy and surprised. Like we had Tuya. Bearclaw, she self-pumps, kind of noting someone else's bigger power. Um, she's from Commander Legends. We have Ilharg, the Raised Boar. He will oh, sneak yeah. attack twice. Yep. I don't think I have a, yep. a big enough top end that Ilharg probably stays in the deck long term. But I want to feel. It. I want to do this. I want to do this to, yes. to victims. Uh, yeah, yes. Itali's definitely in the deck. You know, I, I spoke with Cham about this. Atali's just good. Mm -hmm. It's just, I think, a nuts and bolts red card advantage card. Yeah. Doing it twice. It's just good by itself. Doing it twice is nutty. You you play a you play a four player game, Atali, you're potentially casting eight cards for free. Yeah. On one so, attack. Like whole The way I kind of ended up going cow. with this deck was I had a kind of a split. Um I took the pre con. I kind of cut a lot of the Dragon Tribal stuff out. And I ended up only really putting in about 31 new cards. But... Yeah. We have these big things, and we have the Clouth effect. So I'm... Because we're going to trigger him twice, we're going to check... Even if it's just him and Wolfgar... Wolfgar will get 2-2 two -two and 2-2. Two -two, and then Clouth has 4 power. So we're making... 12 mana twice. Just Wolfgar and Klaus. Yeah. 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 I feel like uh, I'll one... need more for that to yeah. matter. Because <laughs> I definitely feel like every yeah. attack with Klaus will be... I can cast my whole hand every time I attack with him. But, yeah. you know, there's these really big, bombastic, like, over-the-top effects. Like, Inferno Titan was another one I really liked. And this is another deck that Delina becomes really hilarious. Because her thing to make copies is an attack trigger. So Wolfgar says, oh, let's gosh. do it again. Oh, no. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. pie-in-the-sky versions of you that is... You need to roll well. Uh, Wolfgar, Delina, and Inferno Titan. We go attacks. Delina no. looks at Inferno Titan twice. <laughs> Inferno Titan's already swung and dealt six damage as you chose. Now we're going to get at least two yeah. Inferno Titans. Because why not choose it twice for both you know each effect? And we got six oh, more damage, really. and that's with winning no die rolls. Yeah, that's with winning none. Yeah. 
so um, that is a a version of the deck that I'm playing that I really feel like is where I want to be with its red green. I want to play big creatures and scare the hell out of you before you die to them. But another version of the deck that is has a small showing and having Hellrider in the deck. Whenever creature control, you control attacks, Hellrider deals one damage to the defending player. Well, we get to do that twice. Well, we also have Cavalcade, Calamity, and Raid Bombardment if we're only attacking with oh, small yeah. creatures. So there is a version of this deck that is way doubled down on those effects. Yeah. Make five tokens, someone just dies to attacks triggers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, even um, my my decks, both of them, uh, both um, Gyrus and um, Ghidorah, both are attack triggers. So I no wait no. Ghidorah's an attach trigger. There are attack triggers in Ghidorah, but not. Yeah, that's a mutate. Anyways, Gyrus. Yeah, no, there, but there are uh, some attack triggers in that deck. I just, I don't know why I thought Ghidorah had it. But anyways, Gyrus. Gyrus, you're pulling out two things instead of one. And I was talking to Chance. It doesn't sound like for Gyrus because you have to have the things in the graveyard. But usually Gyrus, I have to do a setup for, like, for him to sort of go off. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay... So I have to get the tokens out here, and then I'll crater hoof. And this one, I just have to. I have a card that will literally put three cards in the graveyard that I need. I like. Uh, I don't remember the name of the card, but it puts three things in the graveyard, right? And I put in anger. I put in hornet queen, and I put in crater hoof. And then Gyrus, for as long as he can hit crater hoof, which is as long as he's a seven seven, which isn't hard to do. All I got to do is spend seven mana to do that. Um, the moment he attacks, he pull and you have this barbarian out. Good old Wolfgar, I can grab both, and assuming they hit the battlefield in the right way, I have enough tokens and a crater hoof there to just mow over the field, mm -hmm. like in one in one attack you know, in in one turn, instead of Gyrus setting up a couple turns and then Gyrus then mowing over. It's it's insane. It's insane what the, this card enables. Yeah. <laughs> in the last triggers. specific card I kind of want to mention that I put into the deck is a card from Commander Legends. I think it's an uncommon called Coastline Marauders. It's a 3 mana 0-3 with Trample. When it attacks, it gains plus 1, plus 0 for each land I believe that the defending player controls. It's either the defending oh. player controls or you oh. control. And Either way, that can be So you've got a 3 mana... Once Wolfgar's on play, 10-3 ten, ten, with Trample, 12. It's large. Like, it's just kind of hilarious as a punch card. It's probably playable there. It has Encore. It does have Encore. Gosh. <laughs> this sneakily can be the most hilarious win condition I have. It has 6 mana to Encore, and if you're not familiar with Encore, it's just... Exile the card from with his ability from your graveyard. You make a token for each opponent, and each one specifically has to attack a different opponent. So you'll end up in a th four-player game. You make three of these tokens, one has to go to each opponent. Yep. So, a passable card that a commander takes to a almost win condition? Like, I am very happy with everything that's happened with this deck. There's been a little bit of... Um, hand hugging between two energy makers one that gives extra combats that i'm excited to see if it works 
Uh, I will Lightning Runner and Aetherwind Basker. Lightning Runner by himself gives you an extra combat every other turn. And Basker potentially makes mm -hmm. it, let's do all the combats now, ever. Which is good, because, you know, Wolfgar's melee keeps triggering. Right. Yes. Which is insane. Yeah, I, I'm i excited. I, I loved that this card seemed like a more fun, more unique place to go than where I was kind of with Delina at the time. And I'm going to get to try it out Wednesday. At least 97 of the 100 cards I want. Hopefully they have the three cards I'm looking for that I didn't have. Yep. I'm 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 happy it's a thing cuz I, I want one too. And that is a good point. Like I'll probably talk a little more like at the end in closing thoughts, but there are definitely moments in spoiler season that it was like obviously I'm never going to get everything I want because there's only 20 mythics. But it really felt like we may have not got Wolfgar and Caterbury until they were in the commander decks. So I'm definitely happy right. they they at least made it. Mm -hmm. Poor Regis. Poor, poor Regis. Poor Regis. Alrighty. Well, let's uh, let's get our last cards. Uh, let's see what they are. Alright, so my final card, and this is the uh, card that I'm most interested in building around, is Lorcan, Warlock Collector. Five generic and two black for a legendary creature devil at rare. This also, wildly, again, I'm kind of baffled that apparently I have so much love for the Planar Portal deck. Uh, Lorcan is a 6-6 six, six flying creature and has whenever a creature card is put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, you may pay life equal to its mana value. If you do, put it onto the battlefield under your control. It's a warlock in addition to its other types. If a warlock you control would die, exile it instead. So, on the I mean, on the face of it, it's it's a big devil reanimator card. Everything that I that I love and want in Magic card, and much closer to, eh, not much closer, but uh, certainly in some ways resembles more what I would have wanted from an Orcus card. Uh, so I was very very happy to see Lorcan. Uh, also, the, I mean, the obvious analogy to me is with Chainer, Dementia Master, uh, the original Chainer from way back when. Uh, now, Chainer's a 5-drop for a 3-3 three, three, uh, that that lets you pay 3 black and 3 life to pull something, I think, from any graveyard. I do believe so. Um, yeah, so, so the trade-offs are, you know, if we're going to compare these cards, apples to apples, oranges to oranges, Chainer lets you pull anything. And gives it plus one, plus one, and makes it a nightmare. But then if Chainer goes away, it goes away. Uh, looks like Chainer also changes the color. So if it's not a black creature, it becomes a black creature and gains the nightmare super type. And yeah, doesn't restrict the type of graveyard. So Lorcan specifically specializes in stealing your opponent's stuff. Which I think is always interesting, and you trade off having to have mana available for just having to pay more life relative to whatever the creature's mana value is. I think in most commander games, that's not going to be a big hurdle. Uh, we, 
uh, we're already living in a world where Kirik, son of Yogmoth, is a thing. And especially, like, you combine this with Villas, Broker of Blood. Now you're drawing a bunch of cards and reanimating a creature onto the battlefield. Value City. And uh, while the creature itself gets exiled while Orcan's in play, I do think there's some interesting play lines. There's nothing that requires you to get rid of all your Warlocks if Lorcan gets destroyed. So, mm. presumably then, if you filled the battlefield with a bunch of Warlocks and then sacked Lorcan or he got destroyed or something, you still just have all of your opponent's stuff and don't have to con don't have to worry about it getting exiled. But I do kind of like the Exile Rider in this case because that means that once you've gotten your use out of it, your opponent doesn't get it back. There's, there's no way for them to cash back in uh, on reanimating anything that you steal from them. So, I I don't know. I, I really like it. I kind of like that thought. I hadn't thought about that, that once you've made your pact with the devil, there's no going back. Yeah. But there is a discussion I've had with another friend that uh, conspiracy overwrites creature types. Yeah. They are no longer warlocks. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so that'd be a way to get out from under it. So, all you need to do is one person who uh, deigns to have a Grey Merchant in their deck. <laughs> <laughs> and it's probably over. Because it, if you're not exiling it, it doesn't care if it's going to their graveyard from your battlefield. You can get it back again. Yeah, as long as, yeah, and with the life that you gain, you'll be able to keep reanimating it no matter what. Because with it and Lorcan in play, you're gaining, in a four-man pod, you're gaining 12 life every time you re reanimate it. Yeah. Well. I, I guess my, my final thought is... Uh, I still don't know if it's good enough to f outright but replace Chainer. Um, I think it's different. But it, it's it's close enough that I'm interested in trying. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think they rhyme. I think Chainer has a lot more your own stuff, targeted timing for your own stuff, whereas I think Lorcan can be one of those, in my sense, more of a traditional demon devil like, I'm just going to drown you in the awful things that are going to happen to you. Yeah. And I'm going to use your own stuff to do it. <laughs> it's a very Matt card. Yes. Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely part of your uh, your your favorite black way to play magic that's for sure uh, sometimes sometimes you get a card that feels like a like a gift hand delivered <laughs> to you so yeah the this was i saw this card and i said oh oh my <laughs> oh yes please <laughs> <laughs> oh man um all right um so I guess uh, my last one is the one that I was going to build, build around. And mostly because I like green dragons. So Old Nawboon. Um, five green green for a 7-7. Seven, seven. So this thing is as powerful as Tiamat. 
previous conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Legendary creature, dragon, flying. Whenever a a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, create that many treasure tokens. Um, Pretty simple, but it's pretty easy to understand. This can get bonkers and out of hand. Um, You can just... You're not creating, like, fast mana, per se, um, but you are creating a lot of mana, essentially, if you're getting through and hitting players. Granted, you have to get there, but this doesn't have to do it. Anything can get through. You could just, like, ping with little unblockable dudes and get mana for it. It's... It's a solid one, and um, I didn't really care too much for treasure as a theme um, in general until I saw Gnawbone, and I was like, hold on. Now that I can get a crap ton of treasure, how do I do this? <laughs> like, um, So I really like the idea of doing that, and of course, a lot of the ways I thought of it were in red, unfortunately. So I have to sort of bend my mind and go in green. But there's also artifacts that get into it as well. Um, I don't know. I was just, I was just like floored by the ability to just hit something and get treasure, and just be able to cast more stuff. You should read the flavor text. You could tap out. Oh, I should. You're right. I, the ancient green da- dragon, Clogilimitar is often seen with a mangled corpse dangling from her mouth. Probably an elf. I don't know if you guys know that, but especially listeners, green dragons are known for their favorite food being elves. So, I like it. Old Naboon's great. <laughs> I think um, it has a funny little candle that it shares with the, uh, the red mythic dragon, like the Terror of Mount Peaks or whatever it is, that... You yeah. have Icing Death, Evan Death, Imerith, like these named, like the traditional name, comma, descriptor, like awesome names. But I think. <laughs> Inferno the Star Mounts is the. Yeah, so Claglia Lameter, or however you would actually say the old Nabon's true name, I think they wanted to give us the name, but understood needing to have to say that is awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I i get i was reading that name a little bit before we uh <laughs> got to it i was like all right so yeah, yeah. definitely in that out. way My... for this and the red i like the normal version of the card because i like to see the name at the bottom because there's no way i'm going to remember that my best guess is cloud gilliamatar i like it beyond that the card actually was uh, something I considered in doing a budget deck contest for for group slug, as in Slugfest, because yeah, you have hurricane style effects, and yeah. we can just play this, give some haste, slap everybody as hard as we can, as long as we've done about thirty damage among all of our opponents. We just hurricane for twenty nine, and yep. maybe somebody lives. Hopefully it's me. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's probably where I like yeah. this card, is just the reckless abandon of the green damage expo <laughs> after you've made a yeah. ton of treasure. 
funny too because the red and the green dragons are the only two that feel like commander cards the the other yes. three feel very designed for standard yeah i, I don't and i don't hate that i will say ebon death is a nightmare and sealed and whatnot and emerith oh, i could yeah. i've seen some standard play of it, it doing its job but i give icing death a pass like the flavor of that card is just it's just good enough Oh, well, I mean, fl- flavor isn't really the issue. I'm just, yeah. just purely mechanically. Yeah. Purely mechanically. Uh, Ebon Death is a standard card. I expect it to, to take, like you said, it's a it's an absolute bomb and limited. It's a, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some standard decks that really run it. Same for Emerith. Uh, same for Icing Death. I mean, that, that equipment's no joke when it when it dies, so, like, that added value. But I mean, Inferno with the with the activated ability and getting to just throw twenty damage around—that's Commander all day. Yeah, Old Gnawbone feels feels the same. It's a big splashy mythic dragon that that creates a bunch of treasure. The I, I told you guys earlier this week. My only gripe with Gnawbone is that the very last color that needs any sort of support from treasure is green. <laughs> uh, I, I really am not thrilled to see such a powerful treasure-based card in green, but uh, but I'll admit of the five, Old Gnawbone is probably my favorite from a commander perspective yeah. as well. It's it's hard to argue. Yeah. Yeah, green just doesn't have a lot of benefit from treasure. You really want to get into red green to get a lot of the benefits from it, but. Um, I still enjoy it. I still enjoy the idea of it. Because, I mean, hey, more mana in green. This probably just thing. goes into most Corval decks because you hit with him, yeah. you make all the treasure, and now you're just going to draw 6, 7, 8, 12, 32 cards. Gosh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, uh, so that was my last one. Um,. What about you, Chunks? So, my last card kind of touches on, and we, we saw this slightly, but we did, didn't really mention it with Neverwinter Hydra. All the base set cards that are going to be in standard only roll D20s. You get to roll some other dice with yes. some of these commander cards. And I chose Reckless Endeavor, mm-hmm. which is the red of a cycle of these cards that have you roll two of the same dice. And uh, we will start reading the card from there. Reckless Endeavor is the... five red red for a sorcery at rare. Coming from the red-green deck, I believe. Maybe... No, it looks like the red-black. I was going to say, for the record, Planar Portal, <laughs> absolutely slaying. <laughs> <laughs> it has roll, roll two d12, so two 12-sided dice, and choose one result. Yeah. Reckless Endeavor deals damage equal to that result to each creature. Then create a treasure token equal to the... Uh, treasure tokens equal to the other result. Which burns more fiercely, your ambition or the flame? And the art's like this thief and the dragon burning their butt in the background. But this mm-hmm. theming of these Endeavor cards, I really love this. Let's roll other dice. Let's get a pseudo-random effect. But, you know, if we're just talking expected results, expect one value below the half point, expect one value above the half point. So, most likely you're doing six damage to every creature at least. So, as a red board wipe, 
that makes 1 to 12 mana after it resolves. It's kind of hilarious. And I think this is, for me, the biggest example of we have these Treasures Matter cards, we have flexible options, we're getting to roll dice in D&D set, and I just think it's really neat. I think it's going to be a fun thing to play, and it's going to be fun when it works and fun when it doesn't, because you're going to get to play a more fun lilt on a game instead of just every board wipe should smell like damnation. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. I agree. Very fun card. Um, I like, you can see the outline of the, like the other thief that wasn't so fortunate mm-hmm. inside the fire breath. <laughs> Plus this also has some potential yeah. in like storm kind of spell slingery commander decks that if you reduce this cost a little bit, you have the potential to make this very mana positive to the point of casting this for maybe just red red and then playing a bunch of copy spell effects. Oh yeah, the board is just going to be a swath of hellfire with nothing standing but a very scared stuffy doll. But you're going to get a lot of mana out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Potentially. D12s are notorious for having a high variance. I mean, can always roll with advantage. It's true. Doesn't help if you get two ones, though. As you learned in our one of our 5th edition games. It happens. <laughs> World of infinite possibilities. Yeah. You're going to roll poorly at some point. <laughs> it's true. Oh man, this is—I'd say overall, overall, this is an exciting, a good set. But I think when you drill down into it, we just it, there's there's some flavor lacking, and there's some other things where we're just like, ah. Yeah, I think it really went. I wish on I this hope, path of but, it was better than I thought they could have done, but the more hopeful I got, the more I hurt myself. Because there's definitely moments when yes. it was, I have a lot of knowledge of Greyhawk. I have very light knowledge of some Forgotten Realm stuff. Uh, and, you know, Matt and Chan being a lot more versed in Forgotten Realms and the Dritz series in general. But there is definitely this process mm-hmm. of realizing what card slots are left going through spoiler season and being like, I think they're doing 20 Mythics in this set. And that was really exciting until I realized I hated every card that got spoiled at that point. After yeah. after that point, like, oh, yeah. Bahamut's there. I'm happy yeah. Bahamut's there. Maybe it means something to standard. It hurt my soul. Yeah. That's not mm-hmm. the white Mythic I wanted to see. I get Bahamut probably had to take a place once you put Tiamat in. But I was excited for, oh, are we going to get another deity in a planeswalker slot kind of like Lolf took the black planeswalker slot who should more by more right be a god card and yep. I was like oh okay so this opens up things like there's forgotten realms variants or you know analogous to Heronius and Hextor so maybe we'll get a god of justice that I'm not super familiar with or 
maybe we'll get Paylor because the god of light that tends to be the patron deity to humans in Greyhawk seems to have spilled a little into the generic campaign setting for 5e Forgotten Realms. It was just this swath of all of these things I wanted to see and constant tiny disappointments really making me go, you know, it's better than it could have been, but I, I wanted so much yeah. more. To, on the flip side, there are some cards, even though we didn't talk about them, that were, as far as like flavor goes, absolutely stellar, right? As a, as a, as a magic card, I'm not sure I like this card. It's an uncommon. The Grim Wanderer, the one in black, for a 5-3 flash tragic backstory cast the spell only if a creature died this turn. How many tragic backstories do characters have? Like, oh, yeah, so there's, there's like, pieces that are like, perfect. It's a play on the trope. Like, yeah. I can appreciate the uh, Holy Avenger equipment. I feel like it does oh, yeah, justice to the power level of that specific powerful sword in D&D. It does justice to that. But in much the same way, there's things that I desperately wanted to see that we didn't see, and there's things that we feel missed the mark. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and and for me, the root of that, and Chance, you, you, I think you hit it on the nose very well, is so you can basically split the cards in this set into three camps, and you have the the new-to-this-set camp, where in an attempt to kind of strengthen the, the tie to Magic's world, we got cards that are representing characters and things that are unique to this particular facet of D&D that is now manifested in the Magic universe. And then you have cards that are in the Forgotten Realms camp that are very much tied to the Forgotten Realms. Dritzt, Asarerak, uh Bahamut, Tiamat. Uh, I mean, granted, those existed in in other realms beforehand too. But but you but you have those cards. Brunor, the companions, obviously. Uh, Blackstaff mm-hmm. of Waterdeep. You have cards that are firmly fixed in the Forgotten Realms world. And then you have the third camp, which is your general D and D cards. You have the Vorpal Sword, the Book of Vile Darkness. Mm-hmm. Blade Mail. You, yeah. yeah, you you have these cards that are that are endemic to D and D itself, regardless of what world players play in, what homebrew campaign settings they come up with, the artifacts and stuff from the Monster Manual, uh, the freaking fifty foot of rope. That was ah oh, uh, beautiful was flavor amazing. on that card. They they nailed that out of yeah. the park. And, and so that was kind of like like Chance was saying. As time went on, I feel like a lot of the commons and uncommons they really nailed. They got a lot of good D and D flavor. We got you know the Baleful Beholder, um, some of the equipment and oh, stuff. The 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 negative and neg- uh, eye of the be- eyes of the Beholder. Eyes the of the Beholder as a, yeah as as yeah. a removal spell. The the Dawnbringer cleric that has the three basic cleric spells: cure wounds, dispel magic, general repose, and and they like every effect lines up really beautifully with with both how those effects would function in magic and how they call back to what they do in D and D, and and it feels like the rares and mythics are where things feel really jumbled. Yeah, where we yeah. have this weird amalgamation of new characters, returning characters. I, I called out Mordenkainen earlier. Mordenkainen belongs to Greyhawk. 
that was the original D&D world. But with 5e, yeah. Wizards made the decision to make Forgotten Realms the, the default D&D world. Yep. And so you have this weird mixing of the old school callbacks with these Forgotten Realms characters that... And Forgotten Realms is such a well-defined game world. It doesn't feel like you have the freedom to include these kind of more nebulous D&D callbacks. They don't feel quite as as much as though they belong here. Hmm. I did also have a lot of dissatisfaction over getting a uncommon chromatic dragon cycle and only getting gold dragon. Yeah, yeah. And Gold Dragon being a 4-3. I don't mind the Gold Dragon card. Like, <laughs> in the lens of I know more about magic than D&D at this point, a red-white flying haste lifelink card, yeah. It, 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 sure. But it's just another one of those... Well... You, you don't give me the thing I wanted to see. I wanted to see my cycle of metallic dragons. And a... I think it's a copper dragon is the victim of, like, one of the paralysis spells... And that's what we get to see of any yeah. other yeah. metallic dragon. Yeah. And another yeah, the, just the pro- well, technically Bahamut's a platinum dragon, so you got one other. <laughs> it doesn't count, just like Tiamat doesn't count as a chromatic. No, she is the chromatic. <laughs> Go ahead. The other thing I was gonna say, I also was kind of dissatisfied in how they're showing off like lightning effects being like power reduction like the blue dragon yeah. ETB, uh like chain lightnings and minus is 3-0 on something minus is 2-0 on something else minus is 1-0 on something else and like okay you know whatever and it's until your next turn so it's not yeah. super minor but the thing that really just kind of put the exclamation point on me for not liking that functionality is i think it's they did shock and grasp that's just like an instant that make something lose two power when you draw a card yeah i, I just i hate it it's an offensive <laughs> spell yeah. to me it is such a nuts and bolts early on oh god you got close to me sorcerer spell for take the slap and die like it yeah. even says on a metal armor a poor choice it just feels so not yeah uh, they should have had a. They, th- th- that's a problem, right? Is the flavor text there usually hits it nail on? Like, even when I was talking about the flump, the, the, the flump had in the flavor text exactly what I wanted to see. However, <laughs> like, the card itself was like, nah. And. Or, yeah, shocking grasp. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. It's just. There's a hundred other things to say, but. It's just showcasing oh, yeah. disappointments and, you know, hopefully. Well, the set we'll get three years from now that's going to be a stroll through Greyhawk or something will be a little less disappointing, or maybe we'll temper our expectations better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I guess we'll we'll get around to uh, rating it. Um, so, so Matt, since you went first, what is your what is your rating of uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms? Uh, I rate it zero of one unsatisfactory Orcus cards. Mm. Fair. Uh, I'm going to rate it um, a third edition Hydra where it had five heads, but two of them were laying there lifeless. 
Um, what about you, Chomps? My traditional uh, rating doesn't matter because Gideon couldn't have been in this set, but I am happy he's still dead. <laughs> but for me, seriously, <laughs> 7 out of 10 because in my heart, I was asking more than they could ever give me, and I know that. Yeah, all jokes aside, they by and large, they did really well with this. Yeah, and there's there's cards we could have talked forever about all the cards in this because a lot of them are really good callbacks. I'm a big fan of Icing Death. I'm a good big fan of Ebon Death. Both uh big big things in Forgotten Realms lore. The Demi Lich, Lolth, we know none of us talked about Lolth, but Lolth is a staple of Forgotten Realms at this point. Oh, I mean, I can um, talk about Lolth, a big old fuck Lolth if that's what you want, but uh uh, yeah, you're on a. I I don't like my favorite writer anymore. Train. I uh, no. I'm my I'm on my I'm, favorite writer. I'm on. I'm sick of Loth Train. You know, I have nothing against Salvatore. It's, well. Okay, fair. Um, but the, there's all sorts of cards. Like nearly all of them are callback. I mean, Mind Flayers dominating people. Dragon Turtle. Like so many cool things that we can. Like the Wish with. card, you can so, play a card you own from outside of the game. It doesn't make you choose. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, Devour Intellect, I like because it, Intellect Devourer is on the card, so you just flip the two names. Yeah. It's just... It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's so good. The, uh, the so, Dancing Sword, very nice. Yes. Yeah, I saw that too. Oh, man. We, uh, we do a draft in my, my current, and we're, like, playing it over a year and adding to it with every draft once a month. Um, we're supposed to pick out two unique packs. I wish I could pick this twice. There's so many good equipments because my my deck. We're is playing commander deck. decks, by the way. Uh, That's a point that got yeah. missed. Yeah, it's it's commander decks, and um, yeah, I, I've got both. I've got a horse that every time a commander attacks, it gets one one, and they're partners. Um, and then the other one is this black artifact guy that. That, like you can discard a card and target creature gets minus X minus X equals all artifacts in play and in the graveyard on my side. And uh, just looking through things. So like, okay, this would be good. This would be good. It's like, I wish I could just pick this pack twice, but we have, we have a rule. You have to pick two unique packs to bring to the draft. So darn it. <laughs> darn it. So there's so many things. So, all right. Um, thank you guys for listening. Uh, be sure to follow me at Hunter Sub Pod on Twitter. Uh, it's where you can catch updates for this show and our weekly show, where we're kind of going through a transition on the weekly show. We lost a guest, and we are in the process of not a guest, a co-host. Sorry, and we are in the process of getting another one. So, um, yeah, where we talk about video games and stuff and then you know we talk about magic here and what's the next set we'll be reviewing is is it Innistrad the, um, midnight hunt the, yeah yep yeah that's what i was gonna say is it the the werewolves and vampires world so that's it's a subset yep. that's super werewolfy and it'll have two commander decks so we probably won't go as far as we did for this but maybe an extra card from one of them just so maybe six yeah. cards maybe five okay maybe okay I hope to see Mayor Averbrook again. He was one of my favorite werewolves. Uh, well, the question is, will they finally give us enough werewolves to make them a viable deck? True. True. 
We've got one in this one. One. Yep. It's a good one, though. Yeah, I think it's a pretty right. pretty powerful signpost. So. Alrighty. Have a good night, folks. Ooh. Good night, everybody.